Mr. Uh, oh, excuse me, Lord Scarbladder. You and your horde of orcs are gonna find these catacombs most sufficient for your needs. If you'll just uh, follow along there on that non-repo blue enumerated floor plan I've provided. But you see, there are 33 main chambers, five secret corridors, and a particularly nasty passage into the Underdark. Did I mention that the previous owner's gonna leave behind his carrion crawler? Yes, yes, it's all very nice. But do I really need eight different pit traps? I'll lose half my goblin hirelings before the first adventurer ever steps foot into the place. Well, think of it as a uh, lackey incentive program. Those damned magic mouths and every alcove? Well, that's the price you gotta pay for security. And, and this maze section. Do you really think that I want to get up and work through that every morning? It could be model. Do you know what it's going to cost? To replace those iron maidens alone in Hey, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. You know what? I know some people. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. I'm Briggy, I'm Thomas's wife, and I'm the noob. Somebody here call a carpenter? Uh, this is Thomas, husband to Briggy, and uh, let's see, I work for a library, I write, I draw, I paint, I do all of this, but none of it very well. The truth is, I can always find games, though. This is Lou Alvin. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. And welcome back to another exciting episode of This Old Dungeon. This is Lou Alu, and I'm with... Briggy? And Thomas. Oh, man. It's been a little bit since we uh, did our last recording. Uh, what's new to you guys? Um... Uh, let's see. What's new to us? Not a whole lot right now, to be honest, although I've been busy at the library uh, quite a bit. But uh, other than that... Can you talk about your project? No. Yeah. Um, so we had this call out at the library for different either online programs or takeaway kits that we can do and give to kids since we don't have any summer programs. We don't have any summer reading programs. We don't... Nothing. You know, nothing there at the library. So uh, my manager, James, suggested that I come up with something like make your own mini comics or something because I've done that before. So I drew an eight-page how to make your own comic mini comic with my little character Sketchy the Squirrel. <laughs> and and basically it's one page front and back. You fold it, you cut it, staple it. And I have a saddle stitch stapler. And then you get a blank one of the same, fold it, cut it, um, and you give that as the blank template, and then what we do is I give a pencil, the blank uh, booklet, 
the little mini comic and I give it out to kids and, you know, they read it and hopefully it gets them an idea to try and make their own comic. And stick figures are encouraged. <laughs> um, I gave one out today to a little girl and uh, she was very cute. Every time she drew something on the page, she brought it up to me to show me. <laughs> uh, Working um, That's awesome. Yeah, she's like seven or eight, so her, you know... Her spelling and penmanship is atrocious, but that's not the point. It's to encourage kids to try and create something of their own, you know. And so there you go. Um, I will be putting it, I don't know how I'm going to do this, uh, either with my own little website, thickskull.net, uh, um, which I don't do a whole lot of blog work on there, but what I might do is start adding some of my mini comics on there, just scan them and put them out there for anyone who wants to read them. Um, I'm going to be doing one. It's called Sketchy the Squirrel. They're kind of not adult, but all ages, um, funny animal comics. Um, and then I'm also doing something I'll call Random Encounters, which is uh, they're little short stories about... It's called Random Encounters, and the subtitle is True Tales of Gaming Except for the Made-Up Bits. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be putting those out there. I've got two random encounters uh, percolating, and I'm working on the first sketchy. I came up with a cast of characters to go with it, too. Um, you know, I'll post those. I'll, I'll get those onto uh, thickskull.net, though if you go on Instagram and look for Thick Skull, you'll find me there, and I may have pictures of that, too. Yeah, we'll have to have you yep. drop a link to it uh, there on the Facebook page for this old dungeon. Uh, okay. Because I've caught some yeah, of your, I, your uh, work coming up to making this thing, and, uh, man, it is just cool as heck. Absolutely. I have a very eclectic, cartoony style. It's not polished, but that's kind of the point. It's mini comics. It's 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 creating comics for the love of creating comics, you know. And I like the comics telling, you know, style. You can read one of my little mini comics in like two to five minutes, you know. So I'm doing one about an, uh, uh, the random encounters. I'm doing one about there was a time when you and I were playing at Castle Comics in Lafayette. Uh, that's the first one. And then uh, the second one is about my first Gen Con and Gary Gygax's last Gen Con. And as he was leaving the hall, I met him. So <laughs> yep. that, those are the first two. Then I've got a couple others in mind. But I'm going to get those done first. How about you, Briggy? What have you been up to? Let's see. Uh, we have not uh, gamed as a family recently. Um, but uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to a local gaming shop. And honey, what is the name of this place? Oh, uh, Gamer Loot. It's at the yep. Washington Square Mall on the east side of Indianapolis. Great little shop. Yep, and we bought miniatures, and uh, we uh, were painting our miniatures. I am not finished with mine yet, but... Uh, that was a fun thing to do and to figure out that it's really, 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 really difficult. <laughs> to do. It's yeah. very difficult. Yeah, we kind of to... had we kind of had a little Ooh. workshop there set up at our gaming table. We did showing them stuff, so it was good. It was a family sort of thing. Allison's, uh, I'm sorry, Briggy's daughter Julia, our son Tim, we were all painting and stuff. So that was that was fun. Um, by the way, Gamer Loot may have the biggest indoor gaming space in the state. Ever. Yeah. 
it's it's huge. I don't know if it's ever, but it's definitely one of the biggest in the state. It's huge. They're in an old mall. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, I, uh, I've actually been there. I went. Uh, uh, there's a oh, like an old horror host from uh, Indiana called Sammy Terry, and he does a live yeah. show there in one of the back rooms of uh, one of the shops. So I've been there to Washington Square Mall recently, and. Uh, yeah, man, that mall is it's, it's kind of weird. You feel like you're in the mall from, uh, what is it, Day of the Dead or whatever? Kind of. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, the Washington Square Mall represents the nerd pretty well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it does. You know, and so it's fun. There's a really great, is it a Thai place there? Yeah. They're closed now, but, oh, we, we played with a library group. At Gamer Loot a couple of times when they're in their hole in the wall location, and um, we ordered which tie. was still fine. And so, oh, was, I loved yeah. it. We're not going to get into that, but anyway, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, very good. It was a lot of fun. Um, so that is something that uh, we have done recently, and I, um, the character I'm playing in the Ravenloft game is a bard, female. Um, bard, halfling, but I picked up a uh, human, uh, female bard to paint. So when it's done, we'll put a picture of it up on the uh, Facebook page there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, one last thing before we move on. I got a new nerd tattoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a little jelly here. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't see you getting one. I got the Captain America shield, just the shield, done on my lower right uh, arm near the wrist, uh, right underneath my D&D ampersand. <laughs> so I've got five now, which is uh, no con- it's, it's no end to consternation to Julia, my stepdaughter, who has one. She's got a Harry Potter Death Eater, and she's like, my 48-year-old stepfather has five tattoos, and I have one. <laughs> Yep. So, anyway. Pretty much. What about you? Uh, haven't I've been doing a lot of side work, uh, doing actual construction, <laughs> and uh, haven't had a lot of time to do much. But um, just working real hard on uh, the Dare Luck Club stuff. I kind of after going to the Texas convention, I got some advice there, so I'm kind of taking a different route than what I had originally planned. So I'm trying to put together. Um, kind of like a, a quick start module sort of thing where you mm-hmm. can learn the rules and play the module all in one deal. And uh, so do, I'm kind of working on that, developing that, uh, doing a lot of drawing and painting on the computer anyhow uh, to get stuff ready for that. So, Which, by the way, uh, you gave me a list uh, once upon a time of some stuff art you wanted me to do for you. Send me that send me that list again later because I'm just all in a drawing phase right now. So. Good deal because I'm I'm kind of getting to where I'm burnt out. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun right. when you don't have to do it and don't have a deadline in your mind for when it needs done, but it can wear on <laughs> you if, uh, otherwise. Well, I'm getting those juices flowing again as far as you know wanting to draw, getting into the drawing. You know, I always like to say I, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. I do a lot of things and none of them's very super well. Uh, but man, when the inspiration hits me, I really dig it, and I do good work. I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, wind into our uh, next segment, which is our Grail Quest segment. Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. Grail. 
Grill Quest. Alright, so Grill Quest this week, uh, for those of you joining us for the first time, this is kind of what we're looking for in gaming. Uh, could be physical stuff or just kind of like, you know, some sort of twist in the way that we're playing a game or writing an adventure or whatever. Uh, anybody got something that they're looking for this week? The last, the um, last time that I, like the last thing that I was thinking about, um, you know how, um, you can have the cards, like I have spell cards for the bard or whatever, uh-huh. and I have this also... This is 5th edition. Yeah, this that. is 5th it's... edition. Yeah, but like we talked about, I, I mean, I would think that second, a lot of those so. spells are still in the third edition. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I haven't compared... There's some per- there's perennials that you will always be in every edition. Sure. Um, but I mean, you know, Thunderwave has probably been around a while. I don't think it was new fifth edition, right? Am I wrong? I really don't know that one. <laughs> I don't know that one either. I she mean, I do because we Yes, you do. It. It's Rius. Yeah. No, no, we've been playing it in our game, but I'm trying to remember if it's in earlier editions. And I can't recall. And I don't know anything really about fourth edition, so I couldn't tell you that. Yeah, um, I don't know much about it. But you use it a lot. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. when I need to. Um, but I was thinking, other than like bringing your own dang notebook to take notes about things, there's not a lot of room on these uh, character sheets to like take notes about where you're going, what, you mm-hmm. know, NPCs like you're talking to. Yes. I don't know. It'd just be nice to have some kind of, like, even if it was like a pretend journal-y looking mm-hmm. thing or something. Yeah, well, they uh, market those cool. things now. Yeah. Go to the bookstore and just get a blank leather-bound journal. Yeah, you could do that. It would be neat to um, have something that was like kind of a session one, and then you could... Oh, something more, like, organized, where it had, like, a place yes. for, like, NPCs for you to write about, and, you know... Yes. Oh, they have those now. They may not have had them. Yeah, they may not have had them at Gamerloop, but they definitely have them now. Um, I did buy one. I bought a set. They're downstairs. Um, I'm using them to write little adventure things in, and do little art and stuff. Um, well, yeah, but if they're blank, that's not what I want. I want it to look like a grid that says session one, and then... NPC. Well, they're not blank. I'll yeah. show them to you again later. But anyway. Places and whatever. So th- that would be something I'm looking for. And I actually have something to say I'm looking for this week. So Woo-hoo! this time. So there you go. I usually don't have. <laughs> Your answer is usually, what am I looking for? I don't know. Why is my husband? <laughs> no, for myself, uh, like I said, I'm trying to get that quick start adventure thing put together and uh, I'm trying to do something different with the Dare Luck Club where my adventures, I'm calling them triple dog dares and they're, mm. it's the idea is I'm going to do one map but I'm going to try to write three games that use that map because I mean in, in gaming you know maps especially tend to be very expensive to produce. I'm making my own but it's still time consuming so the writing's right. the easy part so I figure you get a map out there, something really neat and then try to write three games about it, um, three adventures, that is. The thing I'm finding difficult is that in this particular map, it's a haunted house uh, situation, and Ooh, cool. uh, like one of the adventures is very sandboxy, and another one for it is more kind of plot-driven, episodic. 
So trying to find a way to format that that can appreciate both, you know, the, the episodic kind of thing and the sandbox kind of thing is what I'm looking to do. Uh, I, 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 I might have a suggestion for you. I'd love it. Um, you know how, like, um, especially in the sort of game that Dare Luck Club is, um, uh, okay, you've seen the movie The Sandlot, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, and you have the the mysterious old guy who lives on the other side of the fence. He's got the big dog, and he's played by James Earl Jones in the movie. <laughs> and the kids are all scared of that house, and eventually the ball gets over there. You know, and any ball that gets knocked over there is, is considered lost. Except when they, what is it, a Mickey Mantle? The autograph one, yeah. the ball. Right, right, and they have, this one they have to go get, right. Um, or any kind of setting where it's like, oh, the local haunted house. Everyone considers it haunted. Um, you know, like, uh, this is the sort of thing, you know. You could have, uh, it's all the same house, it's all the same time. These are just different adventures that take place at this house mm-hmm. over time. So you could have your little sandbox, you could have your little, uh, the, you know, one adventure, maybe that's an introduction to this haunted house and then the overall thing's got kind of a sandbox feel almost think of it like a okay this one sound weird but like an old tsr boxed set you know mm-hmm. it's dragon mountain or it's ruins of undermountain or and whatever this you is like call the campaign it. setting book here and then this is the uh, right it's the book haunted house yeah. the haunted what's the town called in dare luck club oh uh flummoxburg flummoxburg <laughs> this is the flummoxburg guide to the haunted house, and it's the haunted house of Flummoxburg. That's my suggestion. Yeah. I get, yeah, because what I was looking at is, I mean, usually like in a sandbox adventure, I mean, basically the way things are written up is usually just kind of like a map key that, okay, you know, this is what's there, this is what's there, you know, and, and then how and, uh, you go about it's how you go about it. Yeah, and then the the plot uh, driven adventures usually are written up by like encounters, like you know, from here. They'll either go here or here, and this is what happens when you go here or here. And from there, you might do this or that, and this is what happens when you do this or that. Uh, so I didn't know if it'd be too jarring to have one section of the book that's just, okay, here's a map key, uh, you know, and, and the basic setup for, you know, why the kids are going to be exploring this haunted house. And then the next section is, oh, this happens to the, you know, this event happens that the kids have to deal with, and then that might take them to this, you know. I don't know if it's too jarring to just slam one style right next to the other one or if there's a way to kind no, of puzzle them so. or, yeah well no because you could have like you have your module you have your sandbox adventure maybe you have another adventure whatever and then so you have adventures that come with it but then it's also a setting book a camp you know mm-hmm. what i mean or like and then here's notes on using the haunted house for your own original adventures and stuff like that too so you could have multiple kind of stuff in there mm-hmm. you know more bang for your buck sort of thing that's the idea. Yeah. And Thomas, you got anything you're looking for? Uh, no, I've been thinking lately about Westerns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and mostly because oh, I finally, I've never read, I never read the book, True Grit, and now I've read it. I just sat down and read it. Yeah, it's really good. Who's that one uh, by? Uh, Charles Portis. Oh, okay. I didn't think it was a uh, Louis Lamar, but I couldn't remember who was. No, no. Charles Portis, who just died this year, back in February. Um, but it's really good. Uh, where the movie ends, there's like another chapter or two that goes on. Hmm. 
So it's and I found that very fascinating because I really liked that. I've not seen the remake, the 2010. Okay, remake. I, I was just gonna ask because I'll go to my grave saying that I like both. You you put either the original seen... or the new one on, I'll watch them. I love them both. Ooh. Yeah, I plan on watching it now. That's uh, good to know. Lo- yeah, because that's the only movie that John Wayne won an Oscar for was you know playing Rooster <laughs> Cogburn and Cougar. Then they did a subpar sequel. I do want to see True Grit, I, the the 2010 uh, version by the Coen Brothers. I just haven't yet. There's so many things, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll get to it. Um, but no, I was thinking about how it's not really what I'm looking for. But you and I have both always wanted to play a western, yeah. and we mean straight western. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the only way westerns get any kind of purchase in the role playing game world. Um, is they've got to have kind of some kind of supernatural science fiction well, mystical weird western yep. weird west exactly which you know you can have like okay the original Jonah Hex stuff appeared in weird western there's no super, originally no western stuff about the Jonah Hex comics but it's you know but I I contest that you can do a straight western and so many people poo poo it I I mean so many because you, I mean because if you take it and look at it like a role-playing game, you take it and look at it, uh, you you need an ensemble. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of uh, there's two movies, actually three, that immediately pop out into my head that are kind of the quote the RPG model for a western. That's a street western. The movie Silverado. Yeah. Because the four guys who you know those were four player characters, four classes of guys. You know, uh, the movie Stagecoach. The original John Ford with John Wayne, um, and then um, the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, the you know, and, and you know, I've actually adapted the Magnificent Seven before um, for a D and D game because um, we had all these different people. I don't think we ever finished it, but and then I've also adapted the, the uh, stagecoach, right? Stagecoach. I did stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Serenity game. And that, that was an awesome me. game. Yeah. You know, and that's one of my favorites ever. I thank you. Um, I mean, really, you take you change the Apache to Reavers, you make the stagecoach a horse-drawn hovercraft uh, instead of a Civil War vet. He's a brown coat. I mean, the thing really does just write itself. <laughs> um, but um, you know, but anyway, those those three movies to me are like classic D and D westerns. Because you've got class, if you want to put it in areas of class or archetypes, you know, uh, if you look at Stagecoach, um, you've got the rogue uh, with the Southern Gentleman Gambler, played by uh, Lionel Barrymore. Uh, you've got Doc Boone, uh, who's like your cleric, but he's really colorful because he's drunk. Uh, <laughs> You've got uh, John Wayne as uh, Ringo, who's like a fighter and maybe a little bit of a rogue. You've got, you know, you've got, uh, okay, I would say he's a bit of a paladin, but the sheriff who rides on top with Andy Devine, you know, and who could be, uh, he's kind of a bard, uh, Andy Devine, you know. Uh, So, you know, there are elements there. You look at that, it translates. Same with Silverado. You know, you've got all these different elements to it, uh, but you don't have. I, I just I want to do a western that does not have a supernatural feel. Mm-hmm. It can have a pulp adventure feel. I was gonna say, like, you there's know, a lot of good adventure. western TV shows that would make good games. You know, uh, you know, Gunsmoke and 
uh, Rifleman, and uh, even uh, you know Lone Ranger. Well, I, oh, I, well, I got a DVD collection of Lone Ranger recently, and I've been watching, which goes back to it. But uh, the Bruce Campbell series, The Adventures of Briscoe County uh-huh. Junior. Yeah, that's got a big steampunk supernatural yeah, element to it, mm-hmm. but it still got me inspired about it just the same. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so what, yeah, what uh, system? Are, I mean, is that what you're looking for? Is the system or? No, I already know what system. I would GURPS. GURPS. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, uh, either GURPS and and to a, to another point, probably maybe Savage Worlds because yeah. it's real quick. Um, but yeah, I would do GURPS yeah. because. Honestly, I just like GURPS because really it can be as crunchy as you want or as light as you want. But what I like about it are all those damn source books. <laughs> you know, and it's all just plug and play, mix and match. Nice. You know, that's what I like about it. So if you wanted to do, you know, so if you did want to do a supernatural element, you can. But, and it's not Deadlands, although I did do the recent Deadlands Kickstarter, so we'll see how that goes. Because uh, I, I don't mind weird stuff. I actually like it quite a bit, but I would just like to be able to do a straight western without that in there, mm-hmm. you know. So, anyway, that's that, it's not some it's just something I've been thinking about lately since I started watching Briscoe and Lone Ranger. Yeah, I, I got so hopeful back, you know, gosh, it's been 10 years ago or more, you know, probably like 15 when uh when Aces and Eights came out. I was like, yeah, we, I'm going to run a Western, and oh, man, that game. No offense to Kenzer and company, but ugh. It's... I remember when you told me that, because <laughs> you were like, because you know how, you and I feel the same way about a lot of Westerns. We like Westerns. Yeah. You know, and you got it, and I was like, oh, how is it? And you're like, you just shook your head. <laughs> like, like, dude, I got took. They conned me. That was <laughs> they conned me the con, for face. sure, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's the funny thing is I've heard lots of high praise about Aces and Eights. Really? Yeah, yeah, but I'm going with your opinion on it because I value your opinion on it. Now, see, I, I've like, not heard anybody that's that's come out in favor. Now, I will say that the the shot clock mechanic was fun as like a sub game, but like if you were running that in a real RPG, real time, I mean, every combat's going to be like a four hour process. <laughs> But just playing it, you oh. know, you're shooting me, I'm shooting you, let's just do this as a fun little, you know, 20-minute game. It's pretty fun, but, yeah. I was going to say four-hour battle. <laughs> that is not my uh, forte in RPG, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah, no, no thank you. Unless you're doing a big end-game battle, we've yeah. done that you know, once or twice. Sure. Superhero games especially, but, yeah. Well, well, with some RPGs, too. It, it seems like they are two different games. There's your role-playing game where you get in there and you get in character and you get into plot. And then as soon as combat happens, you know, you put the brakes on and it becomes a different game. Mm-hmm. Well, D&D kind of suffers it's all from that, too, with the... We're doing skills does. and now we're doing combat, you know, almost too... It's gotten yeah. better over the additions as far as that division, but, you know. Yeah, yeah last time we played, people were getting... Uh, my daughter M was getting frustrated with me because I was trying to, you know, keep her moving, and she was like getting frustrated with me, like I said. And Julia was like, "No, he's just trying to keep this moving because, you know, the combat happened. It was very organic, um, you know, and it wasn't a big combat." But she's like, "You know, he, you know, she, she kind of came to my defense and said, no, he just wants to get keep the story and plot moving.' But this fight is happening, 
you know. So, and I've I've found that in in most, the, one of the best ways to keep combat moving and moving fast is keep it theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. And I only pull out like with D and I only pull out miniatures and stuff when it gets bigger. You know, if it's just a couple of soldiers or goblins or something, no, we we can just roll this out. But if it's like a whole tribe of goblins coming out of the warren and you've got them on one side, orcs on the other, and you're trying to reach the temple, let's pull out the maps for that one because that one's going to get kind of hairy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so, yeah. But yeah, no, thinking about westerns. Well, guys, we got some mail this week. In fact, we got two pieces. Uh, so let's uh, get on to letters from the Homeowners Association. We just got a letter, we just got a letter, we just got a letter, wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. Alright, so first up, Jonathan Kurtz messaged us a few weeks back, actually. Um, He says, I remember back in the mid-80s, my dad picked up the TSR Gangbusters game, but I don't think we ever played it. I've been going through his stuff recently, he passed away about ten years ago, and I found the module, but not the rest of the box. Is this game worth playing? Do any of you have experience with it? If so, how would you rate it or use it today? It looks like I have to sink some money into it if I want to try it, so I'm curious. Alright, well, buddy, you wrote the exact wrong people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess my thought would be, uh, why... Is it just the module and nothing else? So, like, you'd have to sink money into... Buying a book of some sort, or yeah, sort of drive-through RPG version of this, or you know, yeah. In context, uh, so when Gangbusters came out, uh, it was the typical TSR box set where you had your like game master's book, your player's book, and then an adventure to get you going. So I think what he's saying is he just has the adventure, not the actual rules to the game. Okay. Well, yeah, and it, yeah, TSR was great for that. You know, Star Frontiers, D&D in Space, Top Secret, D&D as Spies, Marvel <laughs> Superheroes, D&D as Superheroes, you know, and that's kind of the way they, they wrote those things, too. So Gangbusters is what? Uh, mobsters and Feds, D&D as the Untouchables, right? <laughs> yep. As I was doing some of the research, because I wanted to try to give them something, uh, I found out that originally it was going to be called The Bloody Twenties. That was the original uh, <laughs> published title for the game before they changed it. Oh, that's awesome during the great satanic panic of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm thinking with the, with <laughs> the D20 uh, with with the D20 uh, craze, you know, they should come back with that, you know, the Bloody D20s or something. I don't know. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think it would actually sell now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, we talked about a a bit of this off the air. I am not familiar with Gangbusters. I'm passingly familiar with uh, Top Secret. I'm vaguely familiar with Boot Hill. Uh, I know Star Frontiers. We've established that. I know the Phaser at Marvel. Indy, of course. Even though the old TSR Indiana Jones game. Um (laughs) But I know little to nothing about Gangbusters besides seeing some stuff online, maybe seeing it at the booth at Gamers Plus, and not much of it uh, at Gen Con, Gamers Plus, great place up in Chicago. Um, but, yeah, I don't know anything about it. 
Yeah. All I can say is, um, technically, Gangbusters is the first role-playing game that I ever saw the inside of the box to. Uh, when I was in oh. elementary school, uh, there was a kid that sat next to me in class, uh, uh, Nathan Anderson. If you're out there, shout out to you. And uh, we were supposed to, it was like study hall time at the end of the day, and I look over and I'm like, what the hell kind of math sheet is that? And, uh, you know, he's putting these numbers in these boxes and come to find out it's the Gangbusters character sheet. Uh, so he explained what it was and, oh, it's kind of like D&D, which I'd heard of but hadn't played at that point. Um, so I, I've, I've gone through character creation. And I, I know how to create a character with it, or I did back then, um, but I've never played it. I know that it's a percentile system. It's pretty straightforward as far as, like, you have bonuses to your percentile role or... Uh, um, you know, oh, what am I trying to say? Subtractors to it, but uh, that's about it. It's... Is it me, or did or outside of D and D, aren't most of the other games percentile based? Star yeah. Frontiers is. I think everything is outside of D and D. They're all percentile. Um, trying to think on Boot Hill. I don't think Boot Hill and Gamma World were. Okay, well, Gamma Worlds was kind of an offshoot of D and D in some ways. Yeah, it seems. <clears throat> or Star Tears. but anyway. Uh, yeah, it kind yeah, of came I, from Metamorphosis Alpha, but yeah, I mean Metamorphosis Alpha. I think uh, James Ward was inspired by D and D and used a lot of its system for that. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Okay, I guess the, when he says it's gonna be it's gonna be costly to get it, how costly is he talking? So I've right. done some research. <laughs> okay. Oh, have you? Good. On, uh, on uh, eBay, uh, the cheapest you're going to get that box set for before shipping is going to be about 40 bucks, and that's in pretty cruddy mm. condition. Most of them are going for about 70 mm. So I, everybody's got their own line on what they're willing to spend. If it's something that I'm super nostalgic for and it's, you know... Uh, it's something that I'll use. Maybe I would go that high for a special occasion, but for me, that I wouldn't do it normally. Yeah, I wouldn't either. There's, I have several books that I don't have the box to it, but you can, you can sit, you can knock fifty percent or more of the price off of a classic TSR box set if it doesn't have the box. Uh-huh. Like it might have everything inside it. Like I've got the. Uh, Oriental Adventures Kara Tour set from Forgotten Realms. I don't have the box. I've got that. Um, I've got a box set material from Dark Sun. I don't have the box, but I have the books inside it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how my, uh, my and I do red have box DDs like that. I've got several sets of it, but none of them have the box. Just the books. Yeah, that's all my Beckme stuff, except Immortal. I do not have Immortal. I used to have it when I was a kid. It got sold, um, but. You know, all those I have them. They're not in the box. And then I, I went to through, I want to say drive through RPG, and I got the rule cyclopedia printed on print on demand and got it that way. I don't know if that'd be a cost effective way to do it, and it would probably come in a very nice hardcover. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think that uh, there are reprints available for Gangbusters right now. And I'm not it's sure probably how... not a demand for Gangbusters. Right? Well, I think it might be a licensing thing. So. Uh, what is out there that I could point you towards uh, is that uh, a guy by the name of uh, Mark Hunt um, 
bought the license. Don't say that it. too fast. Yeah, well, it's not Mike, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do man. see some character sheets on Drive Through RPG. Oh, yeah. um, it looks like some modules that Joe's Diner that I was talking about a little Did, bit does earlier. Does it say who wrote that? Is on there. Who wrote the yeah, Joe's Diner? Joe's part? Diner, yeah, because I'm guessing it might be this guy. It might be because um, it sounds like the reprise. You know, mm-hmm. like it was like, oh, if you like this, then you're gonna really like this. Yep, it's uh, the first level adventures, uh, Joe's Diner, and it's uh, Mark A. Hunt. Yep. So um, yeah, from what I understand, he bought yep. or somehow ended up with the trademark for gangbusters and then the original creator rick kreb uh he's talked with him and got his blessing to move it forward so he's made uh, i don't know that you can technically call it a retro clone but he, it's called gangbusters bx and he's yeah. taken the concept and basically rewrote it with the rule sets for uh Beckme, basically only using you know character classes and things associated with uh, the Roaring Twenties. Right. And that Joe's Diner is uh, like a compatible to the Gangbusters uh, set, I guess. Yeah, it looks like he's got quite a bit out there. I I, I think when I was looking, I saw like maybe five different modules and a box set and maybe another campaign set. Um, I see two on here right now. I'm on DriveThruRPG. Yep. Uh, Looks like his stuff looks sharp. Uh, he's got another one called Tall Tales BX Wild West RPG. Um, I don't know if it's based off of Boot Hill, but it's uh, Tall Tales BX Wild West RPG, the watermarked PDF for a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, so I mean, I think even printed, most of this stuff's only like fifteen bucks. So I, I for me, if I wanted to play Gangbusters, and honestly, I sort of have an itch to now that I've read about it. <laughs> 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 I guess I'm a gamer. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're like now I'm interested. You got you know you piqued my well, interest. Yeah. What is it? It's for the PDF. It's only four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's soft I mean, cover. I mean, you can get a soft cover black and white book for fourteen ninety nine through Dark Drive Through RPG. There you go. You know, unless you're you're gonna you know unless you like want an actual book in your hands, you know, it, it'll be fairly cheap to go through Drive Through RPG. Yeah, and, um, I'm, and I read what I could on the. What's that? It looks kind of noirish. Yeah, you know? so it definitely Overage. has that pulp noir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, to me, well, that, you can get the watermarked PDF and soft cover. Sorry, you can get the PDF and book for fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. But I I looked at what I could for the original box set, and there were some things in it that. That I'm like, oh, you know, that does sound like something I would want. Uh, so, so the original box set had a lot of interesting information, apparently really thorough stuff on, like, the structure of the FBI and the prohibition uh, officers and what what uh, authority they had or didn't have and criminal syndicates. And a lot of people were praising just how, how useful that is for uh, game masters to set up adventures and, and that sort of thing. And I don't know that the BX version has that. The other thing is the character classes on the original game, to me, sounded more interesting than the more generic ones in the BX version. 
But I, you, you could always call yourself whatever you wanted to anyhow, so I guess that's not a, it's kind of a moot point. Like, the yeah. original one had, like, private eyes and reporters and uh, uh, criminals and FBI agents and, like, every little thing separated mm-hmm. out. Whereas the BX version, I think, is just kind of like, I can't even remember what the classes are, but it was like kind of like, oh, you could be a heavy or you could be a... a um, fence or you know, I don't even think fence was it but just it had these more generic terms and just a few of them so I don't know mm. I would still probably go with the BX version well just because I'm impulsive like this I'm trying to uh, here, hold on here. <laughs> okay hold on oh, do you, uh, you were holding you things impulsive? up I know. no uh, no of course not uh, never never I can always hit the jump into the future button when I go to edit this. So. Okay. <laughs> jump into right. the future. Well, hold on. Yeah, I just uh, I have just ordered it through Drive Through RPG. Oh boy! <laughs> hey, yeah. you made a sell for the guy there, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, Good job, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Congrats my, the, to our. I was kept uh, and it kept like, why is it not? Email <laughs> question person. Yeah, well, it's fourteen ninety nine, four fifty media mail shipping. So we'll get a soft cover in three to six business weeks. So you know what? We'll get it and we'll try it and we'll get back to you. All right, to be continued on that one. Uh, and, and that leaves us with our last email. Um, this is from, and I, I, I don't know if this is a girl or a guy, but they identify themselves as Lone DM. Dun, dun, dun. Lone DM asks, "Are there any modules on Dragon's magazines? Um, I'm sorry, on Dragon magazines, top ten best of all time that you think should or shouldn't be there?" So we were talking before the program here, and I don't. I'm not sure if uh, if this is a typo or or if I'm confused or if there's something out there I'm not aware of. But I think you might be referring to the Dungeon Magazine's 30 best modules of our, all time. That's the one that a lot of people refer to when they're talking about their their kind of wish list of, of uh, original modules and whatnot. So I, I, I we, we kind of looked. I, I don't think I think we came down to saying, well, we'll look at this list um, and then we'll go from it. And then if if there is something we're unaware of, Lone DM. Uh, please, you know, contact us again. Uh, give us a link or something that we can look at, uh, and we can give you a better answer than what we're going to give you tonight. Yeah, but it did inspire us. Yeah. We're going to have a future episode where we are going to present our own. Each one of us will present our own kind of top five uh, modules slash adventures that we like and stuff. And we're going to step beyond just D and D. It'll be like maybe it's an old. Marvel game or West End Star Wars or it's a Call of Cthulhu from Chaosium or whoever. Yeah, I, I plan on playing the whole board here. I got I got stuff from about every system I can throw out there as one of my top five. I think. Oh, you know, I'm pretty close to it. Even I mean, my my collection has gone up and down over the years and stuff, but it's pretty solid right now. And I still remember stuff I don't have anymore as well. That was just got a soft spot. Although I've managed to get a lot of it, you know back again so excellent yeah so I don't think we can go through all top 30 uh, and and still be able to do our show (laughs) so 
Um, tell you what we'll do, Lone DM. We're going to look through these top 10 of the 30 and just talk about those, whether or not we think they really belong in the top 10, or if there's something that's not there that we think should be there. Um, and we'll just kind of go from that. And like I said, you know, contact us again. We can give you maybe a better answer on another episode. Um, so number one they have as being the the giant uh, drow uh, queen of the demon web pit series. Um, so what do you guys think? Does that belong within the top ten? Um, I do. Uh, mostly because uh, that has influenced pretty much everything since then. It's become such a huge part of Forgotten Realms and the whole uh, Drizzt uh, Duerden <laughs> series <laughs> by by uh, R.A. Salvatore. Salvatore. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I gotta say that belongs there. Um, I'm looking at number two, Ravenloft. Yeah, that belongs there. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, whoever, someone else go. I'm not going to read them. Yeah, all. Tomb of Horrors is number three. Now, I got to say this: I love Tomb of Horrors. I love playing Tomb of Horrors, but I'm not sure it's in my top ten modules because I don't feel like it's usable as a as a campaign module. I think it's one Absolutely of those special not. events, you know. Yeah, it's it's real. That, that whole module is about how long can you survive. Yeah, is it, isn't that a the competition one? Uh, it Am actually was well similar to that, or it, I don't a think lot it of was, these early ones. Were. Yeah, I, I I can't remember, but I don't think Tumahor technically was a competition module, but it was presented at a uh, at, at Origins. I can't remember the year, but but I don't think it was like a competition one. But it was supposedly this was the module that Gary Gygax wrote to just kind of be like screw you to his players who were saying that you know they were so good, so bad, and could do you know anything. Right. So. Yeah, and you've played part of this. We. Oh yeah, I, I think I ran it yeah. for you guys Lou, once. I thought. Part yeah, of Lou I thought. ran it. We got through about maybe about halfway through it. Yeah. And we had a little house rules just to make it a little more fair, and we still got our asses handed to us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh. I think I was uh, the smart one and played the magic user. <laughs> <laughs> I remember somebody had I forget what it was some spell that uh had like a. No, it, it was supposed to give you some sort of guidance or whatever, and I had it be just like this floating kind of like angelic figure that would like wave in certain directions or point yeah. to certain walls or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, that num- wasn't my special thing. I think that I just, you know, I could throw a, a fireball, maybe. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> Plenty of space to do that. Um. Number three, uh, or no, that was number three. Number four is the Temple of Elemental Evil. I would argue that, yeah, that belongs there. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, S3, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. That's an interesting one, but you made a statement about that once, which has pretty much stuck with me ever since. If you're playing in a regular campaign and you play through a couple of different modules and you get to the Expedition of the Barrier Peaks, it will pretty much break your campaign yeah. once you get through it because of the science that. fiction elements. Yeah, and I, you know what? You're right. And that's not to say I don't like it. And I, I, It's fun. Oh, it's yeah. so fun. I have played it. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I'm divided on whether I'd keep it on the top ten or not, but I think I would just because it is so iconic. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely that's the last adventure you're going to run for that campaign. I never played it. Yeah, the, I've the, got it. I'll show it to you. Yeah. 
the premise is basically the the adventurers go off to figure out where all these weird things are coming from, and it turns out to be a crashed alien ship on the top of a mountain. And so they, you know you got laser uh, guns and robots and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. All right. So now this next one on the list, I'm not as familiar with. Maybe jog my memory, or I'm not remembering it. Desert of Desolation by the great Tracy Hickman. Yeah. So that's a uh, Pharaoh and uh, Oasis of White Palm and uh, oh, okay. Tomb now of I, uh, I can't remember the name Marlek or something like that. Those three games. It's got some cool parts to it. I uh, the, the the one a lot of people remember is in the last one, which I, I can't remember the. The Tomb of Marlex, what I want to say is called, but I'm probably wrong on the Marlex part. But at any rate, the thing people really remember there is there's this like desert that's so hot that the sand is basically melted into glass, and you go across it on these like big <laughs> ski ships with sails on them that like skate across it. But uh, it's a good series. That's that sounds fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know. Do you think it belongs on there? I do because I think it's it's one of Hickman's first uh, series that he did for TSR that was published, um, and I think it you know such a uh, pivotal writer as far as changing the way modules are designed and, and the kinds of things you would see in them. I think it stands for that well, point. Yeah, no, nope, I agree with that. Yeah, a lot of these I wouldn't know um, being the newbie. So, but. I'll just take your all's word for it. <laughs> You're better for it. Well, right. Well, I mean, number two, Ravenloft. That has been revisited so many times, and we're playing right. through the latest revisitation of it right yeah. now. It's a perennial. Yeah. It's really good. I like it. I think it belongs on the list. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. Number seven, keep on the Borderlands. I think we'd all agree that belongs there. Yes. Uh, yes. Next. Uh, yep. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. I don't know about these returns. I mean, you know, like I said in our uh, Keep on the Borderlands episode, I think Return to the Keep on the Borderlands is actually better written than Keep on the Borderlands, but yet it's not the original. And, and if it's only inspired by, I don't know that that deserves it a place up on the top ten. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, return, well, you know... Um, I have a copy of Return to the Te- uh, Temple. Um, I have Temple, which is a very expensive one to get now. I have it in a PDF. Um, I'll probably never run it. Um, I know you have. Do you have the one book, or do you have all the four I, original I actually modules? currently do not own a, a, a edition of Temple. Um, oh, in any form? In any form. Um, do you have a PDF of it? No, not even PDF. I do plan on uh, Goodman Games is having their you know big, thick book publication of it uh Supposedly uh, right. next spring, so I, I plan on buying a copy there. But but no, I haven't had I it since high school. A, I don't think. I think that's going to be a two volume set too. Hmm. Now, Temple Elemental. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd heard that because Goodman Games, everyone's just going nuts about them right now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Return. No, I mean it's really nice production values and everything else. But it honestly, I think it's a lot of it is just a rehash of Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, the idea. I think I, I was looking at running it at one point because that's a third so edition, right? Yes, it is. Because a lot of the um, other returns like, were done at the silver anniversary, but then 
that, that was second one edition. Chuma Horrors, I think, is our third edition publications. I think. Right, it is. Um, but yeah, uh, the idea behind it is the Adventure te- Temple of Elemental Evil happened, and now this is however many years later, and it is quote unquote return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. It's more or less the Temple of Elemental Evil two, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and now, I had uh, heard it's good. I had but, heard that, like in the, in the original Temple of Elemental Evil, the whole backstory behind it and the play out of the evil gods and all that, it's, it's a bit of a far stretch for players to get, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, in some respects. And I've heard that in the return. They kind of retcon some of that and fix it so that it, it makes more sense. Uh, I can't even remember the god's name and all that, but they they, they, they did some stuff to kind of, I don't know what the way of saying it would be, but to sort of realign why the gods involved in the original were involved and in, in that there was, you know, these other gods that were actually pulling strings to make it all work out. I, have you heard anything about that? Well, I, well I didn't get that far into it. So, All right. okay, and then that was that was number ten. Was it? So, no, that was number eight. The, was that number eight? Oh, okay, I'm looking at the wrong. Number nine's White That's, Plume Mountain. Okay, yeah. Uh, that sounds interesting. It, it's it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Some people really love it. I, I it's got some fun rooms in it, but it's it's kind of to me a fun house dungeon, where like, you know. You have this room of these like cascading pools that are made of see-through glass, and they have these weird things in them, and it's all neat and all, but it doesn't like when you put it all together, it doesn't make sense who would build all this craziness. It's fun, but I don't know. For me, I don't know that it makes my top ten. It's it's definitely up there, but not top ten for me. Yeah. Have you ever played Tom? Kind of, no. Oh, okay. Never have. I haven't played that one. And then. We have another return. Yeah. Return to the Tomb of Horrors, number 10. <laughs> uh, I don't really know much about this one. I haven't played it or anything else like that. I've got a PDF I mean, of it, but I've honestly never read through it. Well, I'm sitting here thinking the first one is about you know the Dungeon Master out to get the players. I can't imagine the return being much different. <laughs> You're stupid enough to come back. Let's do it again. <laughs> right. Oh, everyone knows that Crystal Lake is, you know, haunted by a serial killer in a hockey mask. Let's go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we talked about ones we didn't think belonged on the list. Are, are there any that you think are missing on the list that you definitely top ten for you? Um, there's a, a more recent one that I think is really, really well done. It's third edition. It's the Forge of Fury, which is a third edition game. I have ran that in through completion. Uh, that was my all-dwarf campaign that I did. Uh, uh, everyone played a dwarf. They were all good sports. And, and uh, you know, if you ever want to do an all-something campaign and you get that one guy, I want to do all elves <laughs> or I want to be a dwarf. Okay. No, everyone was game. They're like, all right, well, I'll be dwarves. And so we did kind of a reclaiming our homeland themed 
yep. game to it because that, that was kind of it, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Forge of Fury is very well done. I think it's also written very well in an old school style for third edition. Uh, that's a, I think that'd definitely be an honorable mention mm-hmm. at least. Uh, it made number uh, twelve on the uh, on the list of thirty. So, and I honestly I've never read yeah. it or played it. So, it? interesting. Yeah, but uh, is it on number twelve? Uh, on the list I've got from the from Dungeon Magazine, it's number twelve. Okay, well, because my list that I'm looking at goes from 11 to 13. <laughs> Oops. Oh, weird. Li- really? It's on librarything.com. I just did a Google search before we started recording, and there it was. Um, <laughs> Somebody's uh, checked number 12 out. They'll return it in a uh, good time here. I guess so. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. The, uh, I, I will always say that, uh... Uh, B5, Whore on the Hill, my favorite of all time. I would have put it top ten. Yeah, I uh, could agree with that. Um, a non-TSR one that's a lot of fun is, uh, this is a Green Ronin game, but the Freeport trilogy that they put yeah. out, you know, D&D Pirates, lots <laughs> of fun. I've read through the whole thing. I've not had a chance to really run it. I got close to once, and it just didn't happen. But that one's very well done. It's not a TSR classic, um, but if we're talking about classic modules, you know, I think that would be really anything that's first, second, or third edition. Yeah, and they, on the original list here, they've included like Judges Guild and some other uh, tertiary publishers and stuff, so I think it's yeah. fair game. Okay. We've got Isle of Dread at number 16. I would have moved it up to top 10. Although i got to say I prefer the... Uh, Drums on Fire Mountain for that sort of theme, but I all dread, you know, broke new ground there, so I got to give it cred. Um, I would move Dragons of Despair by Tracy Hickman. It's the first of the the hugely epic Dragonlance modules. I'd move that up because even if you don't play any of the others, you could play that entirely on its own as a set game and adventure. And the maps are so good. It's uh, To me, it's got a real Ravenloft feel as far as like how well the maps are done mm. and how well the whole thing's laid out. Um, I have, I mean, of all the big Dragonlance modules, I have one. That's the one I have. I've tried to get others, but sometimes it's cost prohibitive, sometimes it's not, and I don't have the money at the moment. And I used whatever. to have them all, but I actually sold them because I, I, I was never able to play them, and I, I, I'm not big on playing adventures where you have to, have to play as a prescribed character. And I know, like you're saying, on the first one, you really could just put in any characters because it's you know, not pulling off of the adventure that just happened or whatever. Uh, right. You could put you. Know, I think you could take the same plot and be like, let's do our own version of this. Mm-hmm. But that's also perennial love. I mean, Dragonlance <laughs> is just such a huge. Yeah. You know, in some ways, I think it's it's uh, it's more of a coherent universe sometimes than Forgotten Realms is, <laughs> at least when it came to Weiss uh, and Hickman writing it. Yeah, it know? used to be a lot less to wrap your mind around, anyhow, as far as you know, NPCs and all that. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Have you have you seen the module out of that that first set of uh, Dragonlance modules, the uh, Dragons of Desolation? It's the one that has the, no. the fl- floating tomb, uh, and oh, they're all riding the away from it on the cover. Yeah, yeah, I know that. That that's the one that I regret selling because even though the again I, I'm not big on the pre-plotted game uh, sort of thing, 
the map on that and the concept of this ancient dragon tomb that's just floating in this chunk of rock up in the air. Uh, oh, man, that was so fantastic. Yeah. Ooh. But I, I would like to point out how many of the, uh, it seems like many of them are, have been, or will be revisited mm. and revamped in many ways. Um, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, that's been revisited. Dragonlance is, is a perennial. It's kind of revisited all the time, if not necessarily revamped. Um, Scourge of the Slave Lords, the Slave Lords story, I think that's been revisited. Some of these in the fifth edition book, oh, which one is it? It's, uh, Tales of the Awning Portal? Uh, no. Yes, that's it. Tales of the Awning Portal has a lot of these in there, and it's just the dungeon itself with a couple of notes on how to run it. Um, a lot of those get revamped and put into there. Briggy, okay. any, any of the games that you've played, uh, that you think you would put in your top ten? In regards to, like, just written modules, I mean, I like the Ravenloft one. That's good. I like um, the Borderland one. Uh, towards the top. It is, like, towards the top. Yeah, number seven. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, the Keep of the Borderlands one, that sounds pretty good. I don't think we, did we play that? Or we played something no. similar to it? No, we've oh. not played it. I didn't not think us. so, but we we looked at it. We discussed it here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But there isn't like an actual. I mean, I kind of like the module. Um. That you you said, honey, the um. Forge of Fury. Yeah, that one was a good game, but I think I think part of the reason it was uh, really really good is because of the way we played it. Like you said, as dwarves together. Um. That yeah, and, and everyone got into the. Orphiness with it. It was a lot of well, fun. Well, <laughs> sure. I mean, I was the only, I think I was the only magic user yet again, and I got this wonderful. Uh, sorry if we hear the siren because there's a fire truck just coming down the street. Um, you'll have to edit that out. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I got this really a neat um, wand that had a high amount of. I think it was just magic missiles, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And uh, I would do this uh, Sailor Moon kind of, <laughs> oh, magic missile <laughs> thing every time. So it was well, a lot that of became a, That became a trope in the game, too. Every time your dwarf wizard cast a spell, you did it like Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that made it super fun. So really, I think the moral of the story is, um, you know, the module can be really good, but depending on your uh, players and your game master and what you do, it could be a flop. And it doesn't matter how great the module's written. Um you know, it's it's how you play it and how you think about it. And it's kind of interesting that you guys are discussing some of these that are, quote-unquote, revised. Um, I think that uh, good game masters will kind of do that as they're uh, doing a module sometimes the, to make it work for the vibe or the feel of the group. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So well, I have a, a lot of things yeah. that are on my list. No, but I had a lot of good times playing different things. 
you know. So anyway, go ahead, honey. Oh no, that's that's it. Yeah, I think we got it. All right. Well, that brings us to the main event here, folks. This old dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. So this week up for our uh, This Old Dungeon segment, we're jumping ship. We're going over to the West End Games D6 Star Wars Instant Adventures. Uh, this is a 1997 publication. A lot of different writers and editors involved. Uh, Eric Troutman seems to be the main editor, uh, person that kind of put this together. Um, three of the, I can't even remember how many there are. I think there's eight uh, adventures were written by Peter uh, Schweighofer, um, and then the rest uh, are by a collection of different people. Also, the art's all over the place. There's all sorts of different artists in this one. A lot of them are by Mike Chen, Paul Daly, uh, Christina Wald did some of the color illustrations in it. Um, It comes with these 31 uh, little illustrated cards that you use as kind of like little demonstration pieces that kind of show the players what they're looking at and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if I'd really use the cards or not, but man, they they got some good illustrations on them, I felt. Uh I have used the cards. In fact, I took some of them and had them laminated, and we kind of you, you can use them in like a con setting. Uh, you mm-hmm. don't need a lot of details. This is not going to be an ongoing campaign. Um, I played a game um, just using these cards and cards from other West End games. I wrote my own version of what I was uh, what has since become the Rogue One movie. Yep. I did this a couple several years yep. before that. that that's the exact was, feel I got reading through this. I'm like, man. You know, this this kind of was foreshadowing that, really, a lot of these games in this, anyhow. Yeah, and, well, I wrote my own game where it was a lone Imperial relay station, <laughs> yep. like communications relay station. And the group with Princess Leia gets there. They're yep. supposed to, because Darth Vader says in Star Wars, several transmissions were beamed to this tri- uh, ship by rebel spies. Well, when we finally saw Rogue One, trans- that's there were not transmissions beamed to the ship that basically gave her a floppy disk through the door. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and, but anyway, uh, mine was, they were there at this mm. with no gravity. So it was a heck of a lot of fun. They were there to intercept those beamed transmissions. Yep. <laughs> so they, they came over in a shuttle and they were floating around in this Stormtroopers showed up. So we had a bunch of zero G combat, but <laughs> It got really freaking deadly. It and was funny, though. <laughs> everyone was dying. They were maxing out on. They'd get hit, and then the stormtroopers get hit again. And I have to say, the game stormtroopers and movie stormtroopers are two different characters all together. And so our, our players kept dying. And yep. so I would just hand them another card and be like, okay, you're this guy. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that didn't die. I well, I kind of had to really fudge it for the narrative because you were playing Princess Leia. Yep. <laughs> I was playing Princess Leia. Well, we, the, after a minute, I was we were good like, at you it, know too. What? You were. And yeah. uh, I think after a minute, we realized, you know what? This could start our own little. You know, this could be an alternate timeline. Let's just go <laughs> with it. You know. 
but I used the cards for that, and it was a lot of fun. It so, was. Yeah. I was very bitchy. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. It was like the Star Wars Princess Leia kind of. I gotta say, reading the, this, the... reading this was kind of like, uh, like, like thinking back on a old ex girlfriend because. I love D6 Star Wars so much, and D6 Star Wars oh. was like the perfect role-playing game for so long, and then it just all ended badly. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the, here's the thing, though: the game hold, it holds up so solid. It, it is the best Star Wars game ever written. Period. I agree. You know, the the Wizards versions were were good. Um, I haven't even touched the Fantasy Flight, though I have one of the beginner box sets. Star Wars D6 is how we introduced each other to, uh, and became friends. Because mm-hmm. I sh- popped in the shop, said, are you looking for any players? You were like, sure. I showed up next week with a Wookiee and started playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I had... I'm trying to think here. Uh, I got interested in D6 Star Wars uh, probably my senior year of high school... Um, and I had kind of taken, you know, that typical couple years off of role playing, you know, I'm interested in girls now kind of thing and, uh, um, started reading some of the, uh, expanded universe novels. And then I was like, well, maybe I should check out this role playing game and come to find out like most of the information in it was what was feeding into that expanded universe stuff. Um, and then I, West End games kept Star Wars alive for a long time. Amen. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, in, in the fact that it was written different than D and D as far as the way games played out and the the more kind of plot driven type of adventures, the cutscenes and things like that, um, just rekindled my love for role playing. And I probably wouldn't be into role playing still today if I hadn't you know had that little uh, affair with this game. <laughs> well, I've still ran this game if you, at. Uh, Fear the Con several years ago, uh, 2014, I want to say, maybe. Anyway, uh, I ran one of the adventures in this book at Fear the Con. That was my infamous A-Team riff, where (laughs) all the characters were based off of characters from the A-Team. And it it went over so well. Everyone had a good time. People were just stopping by the table and be like... Is that West? Is that D6 Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. You know, because the Fear the Boot crowd is very much about experimental role play and stuff like that. And, you know, fiasco and diceless role playing and, and, uh, fate. And here I am playing D6 Star Wars. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm old school. Let's grognark this thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the, the other thing I can say is that, uh, not all. But most of the adventures that uh, Wedge published for Star Wars are really solidly written. Most of them have some, oh, some yeah. interesting plot turns, some interesting NPCs. Um, you know, I've got a pretty extensive collection, and there's only f- maybe four or five of them that say, eh, I would probably not play that. But most of them, it's, oh, yeah, this is solid, mm-hmm. you know, always an enjoyable time running this game. Well, and you can do all kinds. I mean, they just don't do standard Rebels. You know, this is right before this started, you know, what, in the early 90s and went all the way up to uh, the prequels when they started coming out. Yeah. And that's when they lost the license and went to Wizards, blah, blah, blah. This isn't about that. (laughs) Um, 
But they had, you could do, there were Jedi games. There were, you could be a smuggler kind of game. There were your bounty hunter game. You could be an Imperial. Yeah. You could yeah. be a rebel. You could do kind of do any kind of story you wanted in the Star Wars universe. And they had, they had adventure support for that. If it wasn't a full module, it was a collection like this. Mm-hmm. There's this one and then one called No Disintegrations, which was about smugglers and bounty hunters. Um, and then the Star Wars Adventure Journal usually had an adventure in there that could be just about anything. Yeah, they actually these anthologies. I mean, they published a whole bunch. Like, um, yeah, the uh, and a lot of them were set up in a way like uh, I don't know. A couple examples would be uh, Supernova and the Twin Stars of Kira, um, where they would give you like a setting. Then that would take up maybe like ten pages at the beginning of the book where they talk about the worlds of that sector of space and, and, you know, imperial presence there and all that. And then they give you, you know, four or five adventures that are, you know, just like this, just quick little, here it is, go grab it, do it your own way. Um, you can interconnect them or not. It yeah. was your choice. So, yeah, they were famous for that. And then they also had a, uh, they did a series called The Classic uh, Adventures, and it was compilations of, when they first started publishing, they did individual modules kind of like what D&D did um, and the classic adventures mostly are those packaged you know two three at a time and uh, those are all very solid also uh, in fact probably my favorite adventure of all time Starfall uh, you, you can get it separate or you can get it in one of those classic adventures packs but uh, but we're not here to talk about that I'm getting off topic we're here to talk about instant <laughs> adventures um, so to talk about this, because there's so many uh, different adventures in this booklet, we're going to break them up, right? So anybody want to go first with the one that they're going to cover? Um, I will go first because, uh, you know, I talk. Um, I would like to mention <laughs> one thing. I did uh, – one of the things that struck me is the art is all over yeah. the place, but Mike Chen really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. So I did a little research on Mike Chen. He's done a lot of work. He's worked for DC and Marvel currently. He is a teacher on staff at the Joe Kubert School of Art. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, so, in fact, he is one of the fal- faculty advisors um, oh, nice. there. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, still active. I just saw his work, and I'm like, oh, this is the best. This is very comic booky. And lo and behold, yeah, he did a lot of comic book art and still does. He teaches it now. So I really liked that. Um, anyway, I'm going to uh, go with... Um, I'm just, we're, we're not going in order, so I'm picking, uh, I'm picking two. And the two, uh, the first one I'm picking is the one called Heavy Lifting. Uh, I don't have the book in front of me. Who is this one by? Um, give me so, one minute. <laughs> what did you give it to me? Heavy Lifting. Oh, no, wait, I have it. Uh, it's by Floyd Wessel. Possibly Weasel, I did a, but I hate to call him that. Yeah. I'm going to go Wessel. Uh, but anyway, heavy lifting, I did a quick search about him, too. I think he is still active in the industry. I think he's done stuff for Paizo. He did a bunch of stuff for West End Games, of course. Um, not soup, you know, not a name you know, but I guess still putting out content. Um, anyway, this is, this one's called Heavy Lifting, and I'm just going to read the, uh, the plot outline that's in three episodes, three parts. This, this adventure is written in three parts. Uh, Beginning, middle, and end. So, Heavy Lifting by Floyd Whistle. In episode one, the first part of the adventure, the characters are contacted by Fej Dahl, 
uh, and asks to help him and his boss off-planet as soon as possible. But during the bargaining process, a group of mercenaries attack the group. Uh, by the way, his boss is a hut, like a minor hut mob boss. Uh, part two of the adventure, the characters, meaning, let me see and read my horrible handwriting, Nom Nom, <laughs> Nom, yeah, Nom Nom the Hut, uh, which when I read that, I just thought uh, of Seinfeld and thought Newman, so I, I picture <laughs> Wayne Knight uh, uh, doing the voice of yeah. the Hut. Anyway, the characters nice. meeting Nom Nom the Hut and try to steal a repulsor truck to sneak the corpulent hut to a waiting ship. Uh, the basic story is he's gotten into trouble with another hut crime lord, and he's got to hightail it out of town. And so he's contacted the adventurers to help him leave. And then part three of the adventure are the characters are discovered by the mercenaries and bounty hunters and chased throughout the busy streets all the way to the spaceport. Then prior to making the jump into hyperspace, the characters must get through a small blockade of starfighters. So this thing's got all kinds of fun little stuff in it. I just <laughs> love the way it's structured. Um, you know, you could have characters, they could be rebels, like we said, they could be smugglers, they could be bounty hunters, they could just be regular guys on this planet, uh, and they get a job. Uh, it's got kind of a, you know, I'm looking at it and I think it's got this rather interesting, uh, smoking the bandit two feel to it. <laughs> Um, and that's the one where they smuggle an elephant <laughs> in the back of a trailer. Uh, I just looked this and I thought, my oh God, my this gosh. thing has such potential for broad comedy. This could, you know, and players are going to, they're either going to be super serious or not serious at all, and it's serious in game or whatever, but I could just see them having to get a truck, having to steal a truck, can't buy a truck, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you have an inventive game master, you could have a lot of fun with that. And then there's getting the hut onto the truck and going through the streets, and I just see this being, a, you know, almost like it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um, I think this could be a fun adventure. I've not ran this one. Uh, but yeah, I, I would call this, if I could give an elevator pitch for this, um, I would give it the uh, Matt and Trey Parker uh, uh, movie Orgasmo meets Smokey and the Bandit 2 in space. <laughs> but I love, I just, I just like, I think this would be so much fun. It'd be so crazy. And if you were, you know, it gives you the, I think the bare bones of what could be a really fun adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd make a great con game. I like how the, uh, the setup is, you know, you're going to go help this guy's boss, but you, I, I kind of got the feeling that the writer doesn't want the game master to reveal that the boss is a hut till they get there. And then they get there and it's like, Oh, yeah. you know, you got this huge ass, you know, wounded hut that you're going to have to figure out how to get from here clear across town to, you know, the other criminal syndicates territory to get him to your ship and off planet. <laughs> yeah. And that's what gave me that whole smoke, smoking the bandit two vibe, <laughs> you know, cause right. uh, I'm aging myself, but yeah, they have to smuggle an elephant across state lines. In the first movie, it's a shipment of Coors beer and then it's an elephant. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I would say the the one thing I would like to ramp up in this if I was doing it is I would I would have to get some sort of cameo bounty hunter in here or something, you know, some little tie-in to the movies or the comics, you know, like maybe Denger or somebody to show up for one of the scenes. Uh, I always kind of liked doing that when I was running Star Wars, getting some tie-in back to the movies. I, 
and I would often do that in cutscenes because you know I wouldn't think I could get the voice of certain characters right in game, but I could maybe write them. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I could do that. Um, but yeah, how I would improve this game since that's what we do on this is I would ramp up the comedy. Is I think the the outrageous situations should be very over the top, very broad. But I do not see this. I see being a very uh, PG thirteen to R rated game. This is not an all ages game. How I'd run it, it would be, you know, it would be wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Wildly inappropriate, and that's the only way I can see this one, you know. But heavy lifting, I think he's got the bare bones of a really great game here. All right, Briggy, did you have one that you wanted to cover? Sure. Uh, the one I have is Ar- the Argovia Strike. Am I nice. saying that correctly? Sure, you are. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I believe what you're supposed to do is uh, infiltrate and destroy an Imperial. SensorNet complex, and uh, it's. I think this one could be kind of, uh, kind of like a Three Stooges funny in a way, because you got to find this guy. What's his name again? Sorry, I got to find it. Bats. Bats. Yeah. Yeah. Bats. Who apparently um, he's gonna get you in, but here's the caveat. He, you gotta either figure out how to get rid of his loan sharks, like he's got some kind of big debt going on, um, and uh, you gotta figure out either how to, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to remember back when we did this module if we just killed those guys or what we did. Honestly, I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> but he has a whole bunch of debts, and so you have to kind of get him out of trouble in order to get you into trouble, I guess, is really the way. <laughs> right? Because, you know, he's going to give you these suits and you're going to hopefully make Gun it through. Man. And and in this, uh, the Star Wars D6 modules, it, it's not easy getting in there. I mean, it's just not. So no, you, it's not at all. No. <laughs> if you don't roll that good charisma, whoever is the person that's trying to get in, or if you have to you know, uh, it kind of reminds me of Han Solo in Star Wars. So we're okay. <laughs> never mind. How are you? <laughs> How are you? You do well, that. That's, you know. that's one of the notes I had for this as well, is there's no room for errors. Once you get your credentials, once you get your disguise, once you get to the Imperial Security Gate, there's no room for botched roles. There's no room for bad role-playing. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing goes pear-shaped very quickly. It really yeah, does. I kind of felt uh, that was one thing I would say is sort of old school about the writing in this, is most of the adventures are very prescriptive as far as, like, you got to make this kind of roll, it's got to be at this level, followed by this kind of roll at that kind of level, instead of it kind of being more generic about, you know, characters will find a way, you know, have them roll. Your players will surprise you yeah. so many times. But they'll either surprise you with their cleverness or they'll surprise you with their stupidity. <laughs> and this is yeah. um, the one that you ran at Fear the Con, and it was, um, uh, oh gosh, what's that show again? I'm sorry. I'm very bad. The 18. Yeah, the it was the A-Team. Right, and I honestly played the uh, 
geeky computer hacker, I think. Uh, so I didn't play really any of the characters in no, the No, you actual. did. I did? They always, had, they always had a token female. Okay, and, I played uh, the token female. <laughs> you did. And originally she was called Amy. She was a reporter in the series. Uh, she really didn't have a whole lot to do but be the token female. So I, um, I, I amped up her character a bit within the dynamic of the team and made you a hacker, which in Star Wars right. is called Slicer. In the yeah, and then the communication y person, kind of making sure everybody knew what was going on, sort of. Um, and you had to make your way through this complex. And now that I'm looking at the map, which I didn't look at before because I don't think we had one, I'm like, wow, that was well, no, I never showed you. Yeah, no, 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 we were not allowed to see this. This is the uh, GM's notes. Um, it was. That's yeah. We had to really get through quite a bit of stuff for that. There's guards everywhere here. Um, well, it's set up like a mining. It is a mining town, so it's got a real old west feel to it too. Right, right. So I mean, but everything was like you had to go through. It, so the next area that you went through, you had to make sure you made your forgery check. Just about. For every every mm-hmm. single part of it, and I was trying to remember, but there was something that somebody messed up um, on one of them, and I think we were somewhat someone was stuck in the barracks trying to get out. They got stuck in the barracks, I believe. But oh, I'm trying. I do to, not remember. I I kind of do because I had to, um, you know, one of the characters played somebody that kind of goes off the rails, right, in the A-team, and I think that they um, hit somebody. The Murdoch character. Yeah, I the Murdoch character, was... I think, hit somebody, and then uh, they got kind of uh, thrown into the barracks, and I had to try to get them out before uh, the big guys came to figure out what to do with them. I believe that was what it was uh, kind of... Anyway, I, I think it's a great adventure, um, but I kind of like all of the Star Wars adventures that we do. But, I mean, the spin on the A-Team part is really what was fun. Uh, everybody, except for, I'm going to say me, because I didn't watch a lot of A-Team. I watch a lot of Facts of Life, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, if we had done Star Wars with the Facts of Life girls, boy, wouldn't that have been an adventure. But anyway, that's another is that story. A, is, is, I was going to say, is that a challenge? <laughs> Who's going to be Tootie? I just want to know. <laughs> Tootie will be a droid. There we so go. go. Our Tootie. Yeah. Our you got, nice. got Blair. And, uh, of course, Mrs. Garrett is going to be like a little Yoda type character. Yeah. Blair has to be like Princess Leia E, I think. Um, yeah. And Joe's, of course, the Han Solo type. Of course. Oh, man. So anyway, but I mean, these guys were having such a blast with it, and I had a blast because they were really getting into these characters. That one guy playing the Sarge was pretending to have a cigar in his mouth. It was a lot of fun. Well, he was also a retired sergeant from the Marines. Yes. He was actually a gunnery sergeant, retired. So yeah, he was really into the part. (laughs) He really, really was into the part. Um 
So it was like, like you said, you know, there's not a lot of room for mistakes, but of course mistakes are going to happen. It's the A team. I mean, I think that's why you did it this way so that there, it would be kind of like this whoop, whoop, whoop. We're getting in and out very quickly, you know. I wanted to put a spin on it to make it something unique for a con because you go to a con and you're either playing something for fun and nostalgia. You want to play something kind of new and different, you know, and I put that spin on there. And basically my elevator would pitch was it's the A team in the Star Wars universe done. (laughs) And that was like what got people interested. It's like, oh, okay, So, right. Yeah, this is the adventure that to me just really foreshadows Rogue One. Like I've, I've played this adventure a couple times. And uh, I know, ran it for you also. Yeah, yeah. The, and this is actually, yeah. I think, the first adventure that that you ever game mastered for me. Yeah, I hadn't been in the group very long. Uh, you were needing a little break, and I said, I got this idea for an adventure. It'd be like one or two sessions. I will not make any changes. I know you don't know me. I said, I'll not make any changes to the plot, but I'll make it part of your story. So I made it part of the story. It fit perfectly in there. I ran two sessions, and then you had your break, and then you picked up the game again. Yeah, and I remember it being just a hell of a lot of fun. The, the, The thing I remember most, and I'm sure you remember it too, is Somehow or another, we I think we had planted the explosives in the computer room or whatever. The, maybe it was the power core. I can't remember. And they were going to blow up the whole thing. We had to get out of there fast. And the only thing we could do to escape because all the Imperials were kind of between us and the, the entrance is we somehow got out a vent on top of the mountain that this thing's built on. And we cut down the satellite dish that... You know, was part of this communications facility. It's like and, this. It's like that big satellite dish that you saw in Return of the Jedi. It's yeah. like huge. Or, or, or the one that your your uncle used to get free HBO off of. You know, back in the right seventies. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we cut it down and like rode it like a sled down the mountain to get out of there before the explosion. And that that's like you know one of <laughs> yep. those moments in gaming that like is just perfectly you know. Uh, projected in my head i can see you know that event just as if it was film you know uh mm-hmm. good times well yeah and, and, and that had you guys had to do that because of yes someone botched a roll, did something and there's no room for error so now the entire imperial garrison was coming to the communication array and you're like well we're going to blow this but i don't want to blow up with it <laughs> so everyone you know and that was the solution you guys had and i'm like Okay, <laughs> you know, so. Exactly. So that, that one is mine, um, and I really like it. Good. So the first one I'm going to cover was sort of a challenge. Uh, Thomas texted me uh, prior to the program and was like, oh, these these three adventures are kind of dogs. And I was like, well, they're not that bad. So... So uh, <laughs> this is by uh, the, the Peter Schwaghofer, uh, who uh, is apparently like super Star Wars nut. Uh, from what I've looked online, he, he's been involved in a lot of different things, all Star Wars related primarily, uh, all different iterations of the game from you know Wizards of the Coast to the West End stuff. Uh, does a lot of stuff for magazines and all this, um, dealing mostly with Star Wars. Also has some credits to some Star Trek stuff and, and some other peripheral kind of things but uh but at any rate uh for this anthology he wrote uh three games the one i'm covering is uh in the heat of battle and uh the setup is basically characters get trapped on their own uh freighter 
in the escape pod. The freighter somehow or another comes under attack or comes into a, a system where um, rebels are under attack by the Empire. The characters, either purposely or by the ship getting hit and malfunctioning, get ejected in the escape pod to a jungle planet. Then they trek through the jungle planet to get to an Imperial installation where they can steal a ship to get back off planet. That's kind of the whole plot in a nutshell. Um, Thomas, you you had said, what what was it you said you didn't like about this? Um, It doesn't know what it wants to be. There's too many villains. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I can see the pirate thing going, you got the rebels, you got the empire. Um, I wrote it's a hot, now in its defense, one of the things it does that I absolutely love in a game is it starts in the middle of the action, in media res. There's a little introduction and boom, you're waking up in the escape pod. And we're off and running. So I really like that part. You know, I think that's really good. I think he did a great job with that. Just get us in the action and get going. Plot? Who needs plot? Let's do action. <laughs> Let's go, you know? Yeah, in, in the Star Wars Adventures, a lot of them did that. A lot of them, you know, stole right from the, you know, the source material. And we're going to go in media res at the beginning of each adventure. I don't know that this anthology represents that so well, but a lot of their bigger adventures, that was the deal. You, in fact, some of the early ones, you even had this script that you were supposed to pass out, and people read their parts from the script that kind of put them in that moment. I don't know that I agree with that because it's kind of hard to write a script for a character that, you know, you don't even know who it's going to be, kind of thing. But, but the idea though is starting an action. You gotta love that. Uh, yeah, love that. But it's just like I, at first it's pirates, and then they land on the planet, and they're stormtroopers. What are they there for? Is it because the stormtroopers are there because of the pirates? I, eh. And then they get off the planet and have to deal with the pirates again. But what about the stormtroopers and the Imperials? <laughs> it's just a hot mess. It's all yeah. over the place. I, I will say that that was the thing I noticed going back through it is is there's not a lot of connective tissue here. Um, too busy. I, I think that it, it can all work, but but you got to get a thread going through all this. So I think I would almost back things up to make it so that like the uh, the, the the players you would assume they're they're either working for the rebellion or part of it, and I would have it be that they were getting supplies from these pirates, not knowing that they were pirates, and all the while the pirates are just there to steal their ship. Uh, so all that kind of happens off camera. Their ship's been hijacked. They're in the escape pod. The uh, the ship comes out of hyperspace at a predetermined point where they were going to be uh, maybe moving this cargo to another rebel ship, uh, you know, kind of like some sort of resupply point. And the pirate's idea is, oh, we'll go there and we'll steal all their crap too. Well, it turns out that the Empire has already maybe pounced on that point and is starting to take down that fleet or, or what have you. And... I would make it so that the pirates get blasted out of space and get taken prisoner um, with the rebels that get taken prisoner by the Empire. I would have the Empire have some sort of better installation on the jungle planet. Um, and then, you know, maybe the, the other thing that's kind of out there that's an outlier is this X-Wing pilot gets crashed onto the planet that the players may interact with, but there's no real point. There's nothing... You know, the game doesn't introduce any any plot-specific point why you need to save this X-Wing pilot as opposed to all the other prisoners that are at the the Empire's installation. So I would make some point there. I'd make it that maybe all these supplies were coming together uh, as part of a, a 
you know, pre-launch for a, a raid on an Imperial shipyard, and maybe that X-wing pilot, maybe he has the uh, the intel on where the shipyard is and and what its defenses are. So maybe I think there is a line I think in this particular adventure that is why they have because I thought why okay well, well you know it, this this pilot crashed he has some kind of intel well it doesn't really yeah it doesn't really say anything it just it has uh, and it has this throughout all the adventures where it has this little like um, little box text off to the side of like you know how you could stage this or you know how, how you you know fit it into your game or whatever and it, it basically just says you could make the x-wing pilot somebody your characters know somebody important maybe one of the rogue one squadron or, or rogue squadron uh, characters uh, but never giving any real details. So yeah, I think he has to have something important that the the players know about somehow, um, so that they can go try to rescue him. That that you know should be a more pressing issue. Um, as as disappointed, you know, you got this jungle planet, and the only thing really there are these creatures called trunk rippers <laughs> that uh, are basically like um, I don't know. Steroid infused sloths. Uh, they're, they're supposedly <laughs> harmless creatures that are just mad that their area has been invaded. Um, so I would, I would this, you know, put a rancor here or something, you know, some famous Star Wars monster or some cousin of one, you know, the the jungle wampa or something. I don't know, but but you got to get some more whimsy in with this. Uh, and then I would also make the imperial ground based something unique maybe have it have there be maybe a walker there that the prisoners are held inside of and so they have to infiltrate that or some sort of i don't know hovering platform base or something i don't know something more interesting there at the end and then the payoff is that the at the very end when they're rescuing the prisoners there's the pirates there you know do they free them and count on the pirates to help them you know uh, fight against the empire and, and get out of here or not um, I would also maybe have something where you got to have s- maybe some air support where you know one or two of the characters fly off to go fight in the space battle while the others are finishing up the ground battle maybe have like some sort of gravity well projector built on the ground that's keeping the rebel fleet from being able to escape into hyperspace uh, so the ground people take that out while a couple of them sneak off to you know, in a Lambda shuttle or something to battle the Empire in the sky. I don't know. Well, I, I agree with you. And the one thing I have to say about all these as we as we keep going is in the defense of a lot of these, some of them are better than others. That happens. But um, it seems a lot of these seem to be made for, for uh, campaign starters and adventure hooks. Uh, they're made very much for, uh, I think, a, G, a GM to see this, add their own elements to it to make it personalized. Um, and they're also open to a lot of improv. You know, I think they're, some of these are very bare bones on purpose. Mm-hmm. And they are called instant adventures. You can read them in 10 or 15 minutes, mm-hmm. get some ideas, sit down with your group and be like, boom, let's grab those cards out of the back of the book. And it's like, okay, we're not doing a regular campaign, but let's do like a little one shot. Let's just play this and go. You know, what the heck, let's not think too much into it. Kind of like a, a basic dungeon crawl sort of thing. Let's go into the dungeon, kill the monsters, and take their stuff. Yeah, and i got to say, it's been quite inspirational to me in my own writing as far as I like how they've broken things down to where, you know, here's here's a little sidebar that's going to give you a very quick outline of what's going to happen. 
And then mm-hmm. here, here's, you know, the adventure broken down step by step for the things you're going to encounter. Um, I really think on this one, uh, if I were to redo this one, I would make it a hex crawl. I would include a map of the jungle planet, uh, allow the oh, characters yeah. to do more some, you know, exploring there. Uh, also, I would have the escape pod, uh, when it lands, it would have to go into something cool. It'd have to fall into like a tar pit or quicksand or maybe some sort of like sentient plant thing that's trying to like wrap its uh, vines around it and crush it. You know, get, give them some, uh, Threats Maybe right in an ocean, in a river, and there's oh, a, a, there's a waterfall coming up, and you know, yeah. you know, out of the. Fr- it's called into the heat of battle. I don't feel like it's more like a, it's more. This adventure feels like it's more into the battle of a medium heat simmer for <laughs> five to ten minutes. <laughs> so you know. Anyway, all right. I'm gonna go next. If you know. I agree with you though. I think the you know there's every one of these has something there. They just need a little something to really make yeah. it pop. So the next one, oh, and I want to point out that the one you did, uh, all of the art for that adventure was by the aforementioned Mike Chen. Yeah, that's the one thing that stood out to me about it. But the, a good art does not make a good game. Um, well, next I will one, say I this did, though for for readers who have not played the D6 Star Wars, uh, traditionally, and this this. It's true for 90% of the, the material they put out. Traditionally, it has excellent art. A lot of, like, Dark Horse-looking, Marvel uh, comics-looking uh, Star Wars art. Um, some of the early stuff was a little jinky, but uh, it's, it's got fantastic art in it. Oh, yeah, and even even the you know the varying styles of art in the book, some of them very wildly, <laughs> none of them are bad. Mm-hmm. They, they all feel styles. like Star Wars. I, you, you don't look at it and go, oh, that you know that looks out of place. Now yeah. again, some of the early stuff, yeah, like Galaxy Guides up to number four, I think, were had some jinky stuff in it. But after that, I mean, it's all very like, oh, this you know, some of this well, looks to be, uh, you know, uh, what do they call that? Uh, the art that they draw before they produce things, um, concept art. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, I think part of that too is I think as the Star Wars RPG came out and it was successful. They started to generate interest. They started to generate. They could buy more. You know, they could get better artists, more artists. You know, as it was successful, that went up. Okay, I'm going to jump forward because we want to keep this moving. Yeah. Um, uh, the next one is one called Meltdown, and this was by George R. Straten. I didn't do any Google search about this guy at all. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a pretty basic adventure, uh, but I do have something. I, I think it's actually kind of a boring adventure, but I do have something I think that would go very well to improve a bit. Let me read the recap of it. <laughs> it's been a boring so, adventure? Well, yeah. It's, okay. okay, anyway, let me go yeah, on. Let's hear about it. Uh, it's in five parts is what they suggest. Part one, the characters receive orders to acquire coolant hydrovalves from a nearby Imperial Supply Depot. Apparently, there's a rebel base on some planet like Venus. It's, uh, the hydrovalves have failed and they're going to have to abandon or die here instead of getting their spaceship and leave, whatever. Uh, second part, the characters must enter the depot and obtain the parts. The depot is a space station, by the way. Uh, three, on their way back to the Rebel base, the characters encounter uh, a lone heavy assault starfighter in orbit. So there's a little starfighter going on there, so you have a little space action. Part four, once inside the base, the characters must prevent themselves from getting trapped. I don't even remember what that was from. Um, but 
And then part five, as the characters attempt to install the hydro valves, a squad of Imperial assault troopers attack. So it's really very straightforward. Go get a thing, bring it back, and so on and so forth. I almost look at this one and be like, you know, I could see the players, you know, be like, well, this isn't that great of a base. Let's just let it go. <laughs> Done with the adventure. Um, it, it is pretty big. It is, it is connect the dot for the most part. I have ran this one as well. Um, the, uh, one of the things I, ha- I I did this just to frustrate everyone is no one knew how a warehouse worked or a depot or anything like that. So they spent time trying to find the parts. And they could not find them in this warehouse. <laughs> and there's a reason why I did that because this is real straightforward. It's really kind of boring. What I would do to improve this is I would run it in real time at points. I would get a shot clock and the shot clock is running down. You have X amount of time to get this done. Mm-hmm. If you don't, because it's got to bring a sense of, of uh, 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 tenseness, stress, apprehension, and then that would make the game just work a little bit better. Um, maybe you would run the thing actually in real time. I don't know. Um, or I would do sections of it in real time. Or once you got down to say four and five, I would start a shot clock. I would like get my phone out. I would start a timer. I'd be like one hour. You've got one hour in real time is how we're going to run this. And you've got to get this done. Not game time, real time. And if, if you don't make it, you don't make it. And that would be the one thing I would do to really make this stronger. Um, also, um, I would not use just a nearby Imperial... I mean, the nearby Imperial Supply Depot is fine, but it's... Yeah. Uh, I believe the write-up is not really all that spectacular. Which, you know, uh, Star Wars, I mean, that's, that's a key factor. you got to have these stunning locales, right? Right, and it's really, you know, we, we're going to the Home Depot. <laughs> you know, uh... And uh, I just think it wasn't, it's not really all that dynamic, but I think starting that shot clock, getting, you know, getting people, you know, and because I played a game at Fear of the Con, it was Chad Watler's Silent Memories game. And when you sit down at the start of your session, he starts his phone um, and he starts it for four hours and it counts down. He starts a timer. Um the game is done, in, and it may not be done in, quote, real time, but you have real time if at the end of that timer, after four hours, what's going to happen is going to happen depending mm-hmm. on the choices and actions that you make in the game. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And Having it, and done it something that, in a similar to a con game, one thing I would recommend if somebody's going to do that is to not set it for the full time, but to set it for increments because it, it adds more pressure to the players. If it's set for the full time, they kind of forget about it. But if, if you're like, okay, we have, you know, four hours, I'm going to set my clock, and every 30 minutes the alarm's going to go off to let you know how much time's left. Um, oh, that's really... That, that like really that. helps drive home that, hey, time's running out. You know, this is our third alarm. We only have so many more. Yeah, that's really good. Um, well, what was cool about that is his game was based off of the Dread system, and Dread uses a Jenga tower as the mechanic. 
So not only do you have this timer going on, you have this timer counting down. Uh, as you make choices in the game, you do pulls on the um, Jenga tower. So the stress ramps up knowing that the timer's running down and the Jenga tower is starting <laughs> to look like Swiss cheese. That's a different mechanic altogether, but that's where I got the idea um, that, you know, uh, and maybe have penalties. As as the time runs down, you get penalties. Uh, you, you have to make a check or you're going to start rushing. Oh, if you don't make this check, whatever, maybe it's a stamina check or whatever, um, you're going to start losing a die for all your actions. Mm-hmm. It's just anything to make the uh, the urgency of the situation more real. And, you know, and, and that whole thing is, you know, it's like watching a, a scary movie and getting a jump scare you know, it just ramps, and that's part of the fun. It just ramps up that pressure and tries to get people into it more. Anyway, that's meltdown. That's how I would improve that. And the, the one thing I thought of on that is I would change, and I think you were saying this also. I would change the Imperial Supply Depot. I would make it something more exotic. I thought maybe maybe touch into some of the uh, prequels or, or some of the the newer movies. Um, Maybe make it like a an abandoned Federation factory that you're you're going to where you know these things should still exist and you know you have some weird things going on there you know the, the almost kind of a spooky scene where you're going into this rusty old factory that's been shut down for two decades and you know maybe have some battle droids or droidicas or something activated in there or 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 yeah make you know, you could. Uh... You know, go forward, do like a a prequel sort of thing. You have to go to an old droid factory or something. But that's you know, this is hindsight. Uh, you could do something like, well, you just have to go to this Imperial Supply Depot. It's just a space station out in the middle of nowhere. You're gonna have to go check it out. And then when you get there, you find out it's a huge depot. There's star destroyers all over the place, <laughs> and it's one of the primary supply depots for the second Death Star over Endor. <laughs> yeah, Which, you it, know, it is a like, small intel, depot, but the Emperor yeah. happens to be visiting this weekend. <laughs> You know, so they got the Imperial right. Guard it's, on duty. Yeah, it's like your intel was grossly underestimating yeah. what was going on. That'd be great. That would be another great way to do it, too, is like, you know, all the information you give the characters, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do, none of it's right. <laughs> Not a single thing. <laughs> Intelligence got everything wrong. That's too funny. Briggy, did you have a second one? No, I didn't have a second one, okay. but I was looking over this one again. And, you know, something we didn't do in this one, which would have been an interesting twist... Are you that talking they, about the Argovia Strike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have this, like, nightlife area, and that they have this Sinchengo game. It would be interesting if possibly, instead of, like, kicking those loan sharks' butts, that we would be like, well, we'll just, you know... Beat you well, the game uh, yeah, we'll play you for it <laughs> for his freedom or whatever. That would have been fun. Yeah, players tend to really like doing those like little sub games, you know, like a game within a game kind of thing, where you don't just roll skill dice, but you actually sit down and play a little mini game. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I made my gambling check. Oh no, 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 you're actually going to have to play poker. <laughs> it's like when we went to we went to Galaxy's Edge at Disney World in October last year. And I actually picked up a Sabic deck. Oh, yeah? Yeah, which, if anyone doesn't know, that is the game in Star Wars. It is Star Wars Poker. Yeah, you get your uh, Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that's how Han Solo won the, won the Millennium Falcon, fair and square, from Lando Calrissian. 
Solo is such an underrated movie. Anyway, um, by the um, way, if we can make a little plug, it is I think streaming um, now this weekend. What oh, is movie Solo? Solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been oh, on Netflix okay. for yeah. a while, but uh, yeah, I imagine is it on D- Disney Plus now or? Mm-hmm. No. I believe so. Yeah, I, believe I, I there agree was some with you, kind Thomas. Of premiere. I, I do not hate that movie. That's what I can say. I don't know that oh I my love gosh. it, but I don't hate it. A lot of people do. I love it. I don't. No, I didn't see it in the theaters. We just didn't have a chance. It wasn't some response to The Last Jedi. Um, Last Jedi sucks, so I'm not going to see Solo. No, we just, yeah, we had a lot going on. I didn't get a chance to go see it. And I think I got it for my birthday or something one year. And I just, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, It's a different look at Star Wars. And a lot of, like, the... The plot of like Rogue One and the feeling and plot of Solo is uh, very similar to some of the adventures in this instant adventures mm-hmm. book. You know, it's got that feel. It's not all Jedi. It's not all the main guys. It's kind of like that uh, Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell movie, The Other Guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're the other guys. You know, I always wanted to play a. Side tangent, I always wanted to play a Star Wars character named, like, Zack Skywalker, and people would look at him and he goes, and he he would just say things like, I'm not related. (laughs) That's the whole shtick. It's like, he also has the last name of Skywalker, but no, no, I'm not related. Are you from Tatooine? No, I'm from Coruscant. You know, like... Very Life of Brian kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, very much so, yeah. And, of course, it does nothing but bring trouble to the group. Well, my my second one, uh, what was my second one? Oh, the uh, Operation Shadow Strike, uh, which I think that's another Peter uh, Schweighoffer. I think. Uh, I mean, very, yeah, uh, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> Schweighoffer. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that one is. Yeah, Eric... you have to say it like uh, you have to say it like from Luther. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, young Frankenstein. Peter Schweighoffer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, man. If you're listening, sorry, but it's a low fruit, hanging fruit there. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. This one isn't by him. This one is by uh, Eric uh, Troutman. So um, I chose this one because I thought it was kind of cool. I, I thought it was the sort of thing that back in the day, the, the group we had there at Castle's Comics playing Star Wars would have dug. Um, this is the one I think is, is got a lot of similar um, pieces to it uh, to the the heat of the battle one where this one has a Y wing pilot that gets stranded on the planet <laughs> uh, and this guy does have it does tell you this guy's got a data disc <laughs> that uh, okay th- I got these two mixed up yeah that, okay, they, they, okay. They, like I said they, they got a lot of similar little threads to them but um, so this guy's got a data disc that. Uh, Outs all the Imperial double agents, um, so it's you know, yeah, I, super important to know you know which spies on which side, and uh, your strike force is sent into this planet, even though it's an Imperial controlled planet, um, to to rescue him before he's picked up by these Imperial uh, oh I don't know what they call them they're they're scout troopers but they're like a super special kind of scout trooper, um, so. It's got a lot of cool little bits. It's it's a you know a, a brush fire war kind of scenario where the players are dropped off uh, and they paraglide into the this ravine and then from there they go. This is good. To, this one's got so much more going for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm disagreeing with you, man. I'm disagreeing. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it 
it, it just it, it's got a lot of just um, kind of fun moments like like you know like I just said the paragliding part where you're you're you know in these little uh, repulsor paraglider kind of vehicles and you're flying through these tight ravines it's kind of like the Death Star trench run um, you've got these uh, kind of special forces um, imperial soldiers that you're up against during part of this and you run into them in, in a couple different places so that's kind of neat uh, I would even think about maybe switching those out with uh, again if you wanted to tie it into other movies you could do like uh, you know like the Knights of Ren maybe something similar to that or uh, you know maybe even Imperial Guards uh, you know something you know on that level um, you could make them other bounty hunters or something like that, or pirates or like Black Sun, mm-hmm. where if they get them, they're going to sell them to, you know, so it's not Imperials all the time. Yeah. You know, it's a race against time to see who can get them first, you know. Yeah, I, I like one. that. You know, have it, you know, a, a triangular setup similar to the other game, but but done a little better, where, like you said, you, okay, there's this bounty hunter and his group are trying to get the guy so that they can sell them to the Imperials. The Imperials are there doing their search party, and then you got the characters trying to get to them, uh, to the person first. Uh, other than that, uh, the thing I also like is at the end, um, the, the players are aware that there's this, uh, this, uh, what is it, interdictor cruiser, I think, or something on its way in system. So they know they, you know, kind of like what you were saying, they've got so much time. You know, if they don't get this person and get out of there with the, you know, activating the, the uh, pickup signal. If they don't do that soon, you know, a massive imperial force is going to be here, and there'll be no chance to escape with the person and the information. So, thought that was nice. Oh, the forces. I'm sorry. The um, the ones in the game are the uh, comp force assault troops, or the special um, stormtroopers for this one. But uh, if you have the, oh, what was it called? The imperial source book. I think is what it was called. Uh, for D6 Star Wars. It has in it, like, I don't know, five or six different types of stormtroopers that are specialized. Any one of those could be a neat addition to this game. The one thing, again, on this one, the terrain does not play a big enough part, in my opinion. I I would make some more obstacles in there, maybe some more fauna or or flora that are alien and unique that the characters can encounter. Um, and again, I would probably make it a hex crawl. I would I would detail out a neat little map with some different areas in it for the the players to kind of search and uh, let them you know kind of get themselves in trouble. I, I even have a suggestion. You could add a fourth party to the whole thing, an indigenous people to the planet. They want all three of you off the planet. Ah, very the good. Pirates, yeah. the Imperials, and the Rebels is like, no, we don't like any of you. Get <laughs> out of here. You know. <laughs> or, or even it might be cool to do like a reverse Ewok where um, the indigenous people are working for the Empire. They want them to win, you know, or something. I don't know. But, uh, right, yeah, there's all kinds of things you can do. Yeah, I read through this, and I made notes for every single um, – I read through this today at work, you know, because uh, it, it's been slow. But anyway, <laughs> um, the only notes I wrote about this was straightforward and fun. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot, lot that you need to change to it. There is a lot of things you could do to it to beef it up, like your hex map, like you said, you know, but this is like in the heat of battle, but it's got a little more, it's got the, the, the data disc from the Y-Wing pilot, you know, mm-hmm. um, I would even have a pre 
prescribed uh, part were the Y-Wing pilots not going to survive to create a moment of drama or mm-hmm. something. Right, well, I you thought know. about this, too. You, you could do a, a final twist where the real deal is that the Y-Wing pilot is one of the double agents, and he's getting the information to the Empire, and the whole thing sort of, you know, oh, that's, been set yeah. up for him to defect. Yeah, that would be a great twist. And you could tie that into uh, the other story that, you know, no, that's it. That would, yeah, there you go. That's the twist that would really make the- Yeah. Absolutely. We are way, way far into time. Uh, There are other adventures in this anthology. Um, uh, The the, the one that I think is the weakest, uh, in my opinion, is the family problem, where you've got a Romeo and Juliet set up with some grands that the players are supposed to get involved in. I concur. Um, You know, it's funny. You say a lot of the – we've done this a couple of times tonight – Family problems. I actually wrote at the bottom Shakespeare question mark of my postal note. Uh, it seems like a simple snatch and grab. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you know. I think this is one I think would work better with broad comedy again because yeah. they have to put on costumes and get into the party. And yeah, I think you know this thing would be tough to pull off though to really make it work. Mm-hmm. I, I would go exactly like you're saying. Go comedy. I would do something like Roxanne where the the players instead of just getting them off planet they have to somehow do something to get this grand's social cast status elevated you know like fake uh, an assault on the the girl's father or something where he defends her him or i don't know something some comedic uh, circumstance there yeah i mean i i think also what one of the things that would have to happen is one of the players would you know that is uh, very much a you know macho manly type character has to dress up like you know <laughs> like he's a member of a harem or something <laughs> you know. definitely some just to go manly. for that broad oh comedy yeah, yeah yeah um but uh the other one that i really liked a lot um it, i agree with you that was the weakest one is new recruits and rebel guns you liked that one uh, i liked that one and there's a weird reason why Okay, um, and it's not really because it's a great game. It's got a, it's a, it, it's good as a start to an ongoing campaign. Mm-hmm. Basically, you have these untested recruits. They're joining the rebellion. As soon as they join the rebellion, they have to go uh, pick up and smuggle some uh, munitions and weapons and stuff. Which I'm like, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> You're a raw recruit. You're a private. We need you to get this really super sensitive. Uh, <laughs> You know, arms deal going on. It made no sense yeah. whatsoever. None of us are but qualified I would take, to fly the ship that we bought and filled full of stuff, so maybe you could. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I think what I would I would do is I'd make it. We've got something went wonky with this muni- with this arms deal. We got to go get it. We can't afford to lose it. You're all we've got, and you're not qualified. Let's go do this. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of thing. So right. I would take that. And so people in over their head. Um, otherwise, I, I really feel like it's it's it doesn't make any sense narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would do with this is I have the West End Games introductory box set for Star Wars. I've always wanted to run it. It's very simplistic. But what I would love to do is run this game as the intro 
and then move into that box set adventure. So basically, you start the adventure with a bang, mm-hmm. and it's really big, and you're in over your head and everything else, and hopefully you make it through it. And then you get to your first assignment, which is on some podunk backwater little world, and it's really boring. But then, of course, <laughs> stuff happens there. Yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, I, th- it's mm-hmm. it's actually pretty weak and doesn't make any sense. But if you use it as an intro and add that little element to it, it becomes something a little more. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> we have such a fondness for this, for these, but we're poking holes in them all, all the time and stuff, too. It's kind of like when we yeah. did uh, Beyond the Crystal Cave. Oh, this is an awesome module, but the more we get into it, it sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say the one pearl on that one, to me, on, on the New Recruits uh, adventure, the one pearl is how they like meet up with the Rebel Resistance, where they're at the bar, and the people get in a bar fight with them, but it's actually the people fighting them are the rebel agents and the, the bar fights just the cover to get him into the secret room. I thought that was, Oh yeah, fun. that's yeah, that was cool. But yeah, I like new recruits and rebel guns just for that. It's, it's, a, it's kind of an introductory adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really makes absolutely no sense. But if you get, it's kind of like in star Trek, apparently the only ship that's in the quadrant that can do anything <laughs> to help this poor planet every single time is the enterprise. <laughs> You know, which is whatever. You just wave your hand and just go with it. But I'm like, there's there's not a there's not another ship. Okay, we're a cadet cruise. You you don't have a. It's we don't have other ships patrolling the Klingon border. We're the only what? You know, it's that sort of. You know, but that's just you hand wave the plot, and that's a it's a way to get Kirk or Picard or or whoever is man in the Enterprise um, to the place. Another adventure here by uh, Peter Schweighoffer. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, some of these are they're not great. Interesting. Uh, Agent Nolik is missing. Now, this actually, this is the first adventure I got to play as a player uh, for D6 Star Wars. I I actually bought the Instant Adventure book uh, and gave it to a friend that had been playing uh, at work. I used to work Night Stock, and we'd play. We'd do a, a, a lunch uh, lunch break in the middle yeah. of the night, and we'd take our other 15 minutes breaks back to back with it. And we'd play Star Wars D6, uh, a couple of us. And uh, so he said he was interested in running. So I actually bought this for him as a gift, and so I got to play for a change, which was really nice. But uh, I, I thought it's, it's a decent kind of starter for for a campaign. It's not much of an adventure on its own. You basically uh, the players go to meet with this rebel agent, and uh, the agent's not there, and it ends up being a setup, and they're in this mine system, uh, and the uh, Imperials rush in on the mine to try to capture the players. Uh, they got to figure their way out of it, fight their way out of it, whatever. It's it's fun, but it's nothing special. I wrote the same thing down in my notes. Be good for an intro game. The start of a campaign. Mm-hmm. Get people into it, and maybe introduce to them... You know, if they're not familiar with the Star Wars mechanic concepts, get them, you know, break into the wild, you know, the D6 and the wild die rule and character points and all that stuff. Yeah. I felt that the, the mine could use more exoticness to it. There wasn't anything too I, oh, special. I had the laser drill, which was kind of cool, but other than that, it's so hard. Yeah, I, yeah, my other note I wrote down was salt mine. Really? <laughs> they do a salt mine? <laughs> I would do it like it's a spice mine, uh-huh. you know. Have 
some special you know, effect from the contact with the spice or something, yeah. Right, or, you know, anything. It's a Tabana gas mine. Put it up in Cloud City or something like that. You know, put some kind of exotic, but it's a spice mine. Is it all spice? Is it chili powder? <laughs> what is it? I don't know. But um, do something different with it. I mean, uh, basically, we've got salt mines here on Earth. What do you do, Doc? <laughs> Well, it'd be like uh, maybe just like have some kind of um, role to not hallucinate or something, <laughs> you know, like some kind of exactly. some effect yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Or I always love critters. I'd love to have some sort of Star Wars monster living in these caves, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And then I think the only other one we haven't covered is the treasure of Celis Mott. By Timothy S. O'Brien. Not to be confused um, with the treasure of Cialis. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a... I, from what I remember, there's a lot going on in this very small adventure. Um, it it's almost tries to do too much in the time it has allotted. Mm-hmm. It really needs expansion. I would not have put it in this Instant Adventures. I would have maybe done this in an Instant Adventures parts 1 and 2 within the same book. Like, here's Treasure of Cielo's Mott, and then it, it could play on its own. And then here's the second part, which can also play on its own, or as a continuation of the previous adventure. Um, there's just a lot going on, and, you know, it is not an instant adventure by any means. It's not bad, but there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's definitely, I like that it's kind of of a, a different vein. It You know, it's, because it's a treasure hunt, it's not, you know, your typical, oh, we're, picking up this rebel agent or we're, you know, trying to get this information or, you know, the typical things you do in Star Wars. Um, but it definitely, it, it seems to to deserve more space than what it's taking up and develop some of these characters more than what they are. Yeah. It's probably the most different one of all of them that are in this game. Yeah. It and family problems. I, they're, they're both kind of out there. Yeah. Um, well, okay. I also have to say I really like heavy lifting because, like I said, it has the potential for being something really wacky mm-hmm. and off the wall. Yeah, I like the one I played. I think it was fun. Yeah, Argovia Strikes a really good one. You know. Yeah, but it, like you said, it's like kind of a ser- like you're on the mission. It's very serious. It's tense. These thermal well, mines are not great. You don't want to drop one. Um, you know, well, I, I remember I added very much an Old West town when I ran that both times. Yep. Mm-hmm. I tried to give it a real Old West feel. In fact, I stole a scene from the movie Tombstone when we first in, get introduced to the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday, and they're out there in the middle of the street of Tombstone. They all just arrived, and there's a fight that spills out of one of the, um, the saloons, and they get into a gunfight right in the middle of the street, and one guy gets shot, and I... I I read the whole scene to everyone, and you guys are supposed to go to the and the place is called Tanzas, which is what it's called in the <laughs> adventure. And I say, and the fight spills out, and they, but they, they, you know, they're yelling at each other, and one draws a blaster, one tries, and it's he's too slow, and he gets you know burned down into the street. And you look up at the sign of the place that it came out of, and it's what you're looking for, Tanzas. You know, I want to <laughs> ramp up the danger a little bit. You guys are going into right. a really rough place. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. overall, um, what do you think about this book? I still love it. Warts yeah. 
there's a lot to work with here. Yeah. Yeah, for, for even even what you'd... Actually, I don't think it's actually that expensive nowadays, but, but for whatever you'd pay for... It's still affordable, it, yeah. It, it definitely uh, gives a lot for for the money invested. And, uh, yeah, it really stirred up my love for Star Wars again. I, I You know, I'd forgotten how fun it was and kind of look forward to maybe playing some more again sometime. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I, Always a good no, time. Yeah, no, I, mm-hmm, absolutely. And easy... Easy mechanics. Oh yeah, it's the. We didn't even discuss that, but really, easy mm-hmm. mechanics. Yeah, anyone can learn to play this game in one session easily. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, that wraps up this old dungeon, or at least this segment of this old dungeon. Uh, if you're at home thinking, "Hey, there's a game, a game system, a set of rules that I would like these guys to, and gals to take a look at," um, hey, send them our way. Uh, just simply write us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com uh, and we'll be glad to do an episode just for you, baby. Well, uh, and, you know, apparently we're going to be looking at this uh, Gangbusters, so yeah. that'll be interesting to peruse. That will be. All right. That brings us to our final segment. we got to get our geek credit on. Do you have any geek credit? So who do we have in the hot seat tonight? Thomas is in the hot seat. I'm in the hot seat? Right? Yeah, you're getting the questions. Yeah, the questions are for you. Okay, that's right. You're making them for me. All right. I did make them for you. Hopefully this segment won't end any marriages. I nah, I, <laughs> that's silly. All right, someone so, might sleep on the couch, but the marriage is not over. I, <laughs> all right, so here is the first question: um, What was the Western Games Star Wars RPG based off of? And I have, uh, I have uh, four choices: A. Paranoia, B. Torg. C Tank Girl or D Ghostbusters? Um, jeez, I want to say, I want to say it was Torg, but Ghostbusters was a Western Games also. I can't remember if it came before or after, but I'm gonna go with Torg. Oh, okay. Gonna gonna <laughs> find somebody else to call because you need to call. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, who are you gonna I call? never played the Ghostbusters game. Apparently it was like written off of that. Like so, they made the Ghostbusters was that first original, I guess, mm-hmm. D six one, and then they made the Star Wars off of it. Yeah, had the ghost die, okay. kind of like the wild die in Star Wars. Yeah. Yes. Okay, this one you're. I don't think you're gonna know, but I had to put it in here because I figured you'd be a good guesser at this. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's trivia. I, th- I think you're not going to know this, but maybe you will. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so in 1996, the WEG Star Wars games ranked what out of 50 according to the Arcane magazine? Oh, a, I have no idea. A, 18, B, 4, C, 12, D, 9. E, all of the ranks. I don't know. I'll <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with 9, D9. Yeah, you got that one right. And um, part of the reason I did some of these, I thought it would be interesting for the people that are listening to know these things. <laughs> kind of trivia anyway. for, the, what, for the, the 
What year was that? 1996. 96, huh? Yeah. And it had been a long time. Trying to think of who their competitors time. were back then. White Wolf would have been getting going, and uh, of course, uh, PSR still had Shadowrun. Although it was almost pooped out at that point. <laughs> All right, what other popular movie became a D6 RPG? A. Lord of the Rings. B. Wild Wild West. C. Men in Black. Or D. Fifth Element. Oh, Men in Black. Mm. Yep. And oh, uh, Peter Schwaghofer. <laughs> I had writing credits on that as well. Is this person still alive? Mm-hmm. I yes. just wondering. Oh, okay, great. All right, so <laughs> the next one is for the next. Question. And next week, our first interview guest will be Peter Schwaghofer. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell if he has to hear this, I would like to talk to him. Oh yeah, and if he's oh, if he's a good sport, conversation. Well, if he's a good sport, every time we say his name, we'll play that sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question: Prior to Star Wars, what movie did Lucas want to make, but he never got a chance to? Okay, go on. I know this one. Yeah. What is? Well, it? I, didn't have choices. I didn't well, have choices. I didn't have choices. Oh, no. he wanted to do Flash Gordon. Yep. Hmm. All right. So, um, last last it, one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yep. Or do you want to discuss no, no, no. the Flash Gordon? No, I don't want to discuss the Flash okay. Gordon. All right. It's been said that Lucas was inspired by John Ford's The Searchers, a western made in 1956. Who was the who was captured in The Searchers? Wasn't uh, you mean, Oh, well, you don't mean. Uh, well, um, it was the I can't remember her name, the character's name, but it was the youngest little girl. Uh, yes. Who was Ethan's, it played by? You know who it was played oh, by. Oh, okay. When she grew up, it was played by Natalie Wood. Yeah. 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 And that's... So you did pretty good. You just got one more. Yeah. You, right. you, you did it. So I think you I'm are now our highest-ranking uh, member, because I think that uh, that puts you at... It's the second one, right? Yeah, uh, you got... Was it three out of five on the first one? Or was it four? Uh, I don't remember. It was four out of five four on out the first five. one. So that's eight. You're yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know because you were able to name off all the B modules more or less. In oh order. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sheer content, I think you win. Um, yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, the, when I did a little research about WEG, I mean, obvious. Like, other than the Star Wars um, D6 RPG, they really had a lot of popular board games off of this. Like, there were quite a few board games that were Star Wars related, like related to the modules. It was kind of interesting. Anyway, but I didn't, I knew we wouldn't know much about that because we're doing tabletop RPGs, <laughs> not board games. So I did I not always, uh, make any questions about that. I always assumed West End Games was out in California, like in prior to a couple years back. Cause it just, I don't know. It just sounded, you know, Western, you know, uh, but it right. turns out that Except they were like right in our backyard. Bar, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think the West End name came from like a place that they were at when they decided to do this, like a bar or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I can't remember. I, I want to say they were like in Cincinnati or Cleveland or somewhere like, you know, not too far from here. So. No, they they really weren't. I do remember that. Um but yeah, I just, you know, and it seems like every few years 
someone gets, I mean, are they still around? It seems like they, someone either gets the uh, intellectual property to the name West End Games or some, they try and start it up again with something else. I don't think they're, oh my goodness. I'm sorry, I'm looking at eBay as we we're finishing up, and I'm just like <laughs> curious, what do some of these Star Wars games go for? Um, a pre-owned copy of Instant Adventures on eBay right now is going for $49.99. Really? Oh, I, wow. Hmm. wow. I presume they weren't worth anything, because I know, you know, back in, I don't know, about 2008, I picked up a whole bunch of Star Wars stuff for, like, dollars. Uh, yeah, I did I did a while back before that. I know I traded a uh, the Thrawn book, which goes for a pretty good amount, to you for a Call of Cthulhu book. But I'm like, oh, you really collect these, and I'd rather go this, you know, I mm-hmm. could have sold it. And, but I'm like, I'd rather this go to my friend who really likes it yeah. and wants a copy of this, you know. Still part and of the I'm, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, and I feel I'm fine with that. You know, I'm a believer in, you know, I, I help you find something that you're looking for, and then, you know, I'll find something that I'm looking for. Um, little uh, little karma going on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, well, seriously, guys, but, um, yeah. I think it's it's time to hit the trail on this one, but uh, we'll be back again in uh, a couple weeks or so uh, with some more Please. adventures for you. Um, in Gangbusters, apparently. <laughs> uh, we, we, if... if Timing works out. We'll do that. In fact, I'm going to try to see if I can find a uh, way of reading the original rules, uh, hopefully legal, <laughs> and uh, that way we can do some comparisons there. Um, so that that's coming up. If not the next episode, then pretty soon. Thanks for tuning in. That's a wrap on this episode of This Old Dungeon. See you next time. See ya. Bye.